You're listening to the Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric from the Gamer.com editorial team, and this week we've got our full breakdowns for Pokemon Legends Arceus and Dying Light 2. But first, George Foster and Jamie Latour join us to discuss the news of the week. Let's go! Welcome to the show, everybody. We're here to cover the news with George Foster. Hello. And Jamie Latour. Hello. Last week, Microsoft made history. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When they bought Activision Blizzard, we talked about that for like an hour. Now this week, Sony buys Bungie. Not quite uh, as monumental, but but, (laughs) uh, $3.6 billion deal. Uh, I just saw a Yahoo Finance headline, some market analyst saying that Sony way overpaid for Bungie. We can talk about why that might be. My thing right off the top, um, consolidation is bad. I haven't changed my position on that. Yep. I think that every the, the messaging that we're getting from both so- Sony and Bungie about this, about how Bungie will maintain its creative autonomy about how Destiny will continue to be multi-platform with no exclusives, which has been a problem for Destiny for a long time, is PlayStation getting exclusive content or timed exclusive content. But they're saying that's not going to be an issue and Bungie's going to continue to do whatever Bungie wants. And I think like if those things are true, then this is... Uh, aside from the... Uh, anxiety I have about mass consolidation. This feels like a win-win-win for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it I gets did... Bungie more support, true, then to make Destiny bigger, to make their next game bigger, and they're and we're not going to get hit. We're not going to get some weird exclusives. Then I, I don't think anybody loses here. So my thinking with this is it's more of a question, I guess, Eric, because you're the Destiny guy. If this sounds like typical sort of thing to say like oh where are the exclusives if they're buying them but like if they're not doing exclusives what is playstation yeah what's playstation's benefit for doing it like yeah so uh we we actually know a lot about this Mm. um so first of all sony has been very clear that live service is their is the direction that they're interested in going they they have mm-hmm. planned at least 10 live service titles by 2025. So they want they want that right. that that re-up, right? They want their player base to be re-spending. Right. Um and nobody's doing that better than Destiny right now probably. Like True. Uh, uh on Monday, a random Monday, before the end of the season, before the next expansion comes out in three weeks, there were a million people playing Destiny 2 between, you know, PC and console and maybe a couple thousand on Stadia. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and we're about to start our fifth year of Destiny 2. Like, Destiny is absolutely killing it. It's one of those things that it's just like, uh, it's just like plotting along, like people that don't play Destiny maybe don't think about it mm. that much but it's never stopped growing it's making more money than ever 
Like it's just an, an incredible machine that just keeps getting more powerful. Um, I mean, I'm a little bummed out about hearing that Sony is going to focus on live service games because um, I feel like they have made some of the best straight up like single player games of the last generation. Like they had God of War, they had the the Last of Us, and Last of Us Part Two, Uncharted, Uncharted, like the whole Uncharted series. Mm. And I'm worried that a pivot towards live service means they won't be spending that huge budget that they spent on those games towards more interesting narrative single player like uh, experiences like they've been making over the last couple of years. Like I mean, I could see it. They're, they're not going anywhere. No, it's, it's not a, a pivot. Thing. It's yeah. yeah, they're they're diversifying, right? Yeah. The, right. the the single player, your God Awards and your Horizons are what sell PS5s. Mm. Yeah. The, this is how Sony branches out into multi-platform. And we've already seen that started with ports, right? We've seen Horizon and Tsushima and God of War. Days Gone. Uh, and Uncharted. Yeah. And is Days Gone on PC yeah. too? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Days Gone would be one as well, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're already starting to see the PC ports, but, but Sony is now going to be diversifying with live service and with multi-platform. Um, and uh, Bungie is, so in one way, Destiny is a foot in the door. In another way, it's now they own a massive studio that are experts at live service. True. Yep. Right. So they have the the talent base, the expertise, they have the IP. The other sort of arm is that they want to turn Destiny into a big multimedia franchise which is something that Bungie has wanted for a long time too. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we, have, we have comic books, like we have some other media, but we don't have yet like the Netflix series, right? Like we don't have, um, we, we don't see Destiny growing in the way that Fortnite has, or, you know, I know there's not a Fortnite show. No, yeah, yeah. There probably will be in the future. Though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, with Destiny, I definitely would love it if they were able to branch out into other ways of telling their story. Because I'll admit, like, I I, I got into Destiny fairly recently, and uh, I have been enjoying it. But I would load into the campaigns without knowing, like, this one's supposed to be before this one. And this one is supposed to be oh, bridging yeah. the it's gap between these two story campaigns. And so I feel like I played the story completely out of order <laughs> and have, like... No idea what the heck is actually going on. Yeah, it's brutal. So, yeah, I would love it if they just had it because, like, the voice acting in Des in uh, Destiny is actually quite good. It's just yeah. that I don't know what's happening most of the time. I yep. have no idea what the like uh, the the what the I don't know. I, I don't remember their names, but I I just don't know what all these different groups what they're all going after and why this character is doing this and this character is doing that. Uh, something that maybe would be able to like. Tell a story similar to that. Uh, I can't remember the name of the League of Legends show that came Arcane. out Arcane. on like Netflix. Arcane, like maybe something like that for Destiny would be yep. yeah, that, uh, a cool. fantastic way to go. Yeah, that's that's the perfect example, right? Arcane is an amazing bridge into the world of League and all of the different games, mm. and we could we could absolutely see destiny branch out not just into tv shows but into smaller side games you know a a destiny story like turn-based rpgs rhythm games like all the same stuff that that uh riot is doing with league like we could definitely see we could definitely see something like that happen and like S sony makes movies like sony's not just in the video game mm -hmm. business right mm -hmm. 
So they can take all the risks um, they want now. Really, they've got they got Sony money. If they want to do yeah. Destiny Dance Dance Revolution, like why not? People buy it, right? And with then, those, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, with those billions, they could do. They could just get Nathan Fillion back and do a Cage Six side God, adventure. Could you why imagine? not? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's 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 assurance that Destiny continues, right? Not I. There's not. Was there a worry? A lot, there's not a lot of worry, but like games don't last forever, mm-hmm. right? Um, unless you're Counter Strike, like. <laughs> Games don't just don't last forever, and this is this is a lot more confidence that Destiny will go on. That's one. Two is it's a big play for their next IP because Sony owns that outright. You know, mm. like Bungie is still going to self-publish for forever for the foreseeable future, but yeah. but now the invest now part of the investment is Bungie's next big game, which we've heard uh, like it is happening. It's been in development. In the last nine months, Bungie has tripled the size of their studio. So, okay. yeah. Is their next game going to be in the Destiny universe? Do we know anything like that? No. no. Oh, it's just it's its own thing. Destiny. It's not Destiny, yeah. I'm kind of down yeah. for that. I'm yeah, I'd actually, because, like, you know, they've, they've done amazing work. They created all of Halo for, then basically handed it off to Microsoft, and then they created all of Destiny. And now, I, like, they, they're good at making their worlds uh sometimes the world building is a little iffy but they are good at like just creating these whole new universes so the idea of getting another bungee world does sound very enticing Hmm. yeah i i just i want to be clear that like i was pretty nasty about the whole activision thing Hmm. and i also think that this is that this sucks too Hmm. but there are there are a lot more positives than negatives yeah. about this, I think. Yeah. I just think it's weird that we're going into an era where companies are just going to be bought for billions of dollars and that's just going to become yeah. the new norm. Like, it, it, I didn't even blink to this one. I was just like, oh, okay. Right. Like, yeah, like that's, that's, just, it just happens now. Mm. Like, literally, you just open up your webpage and, oh, so and so has been bought for so and so billion dollars. Yep. Yeah. Like, this is just the way things are. It's like they figured out, like, it's like they're figuring out slowly but surely, like, hey, we want to win the billion, the, the video game war. Why don't we just throw money at it? Yeah. And no, it just seems to be working for them. There's also a big difference between publisher buys big studio and publisher buys big publisher. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very different things. Um, yeah. I, I am, I am always excited for the future of Destiny. Um, and this seems like we, this seems like good news for destiny at least. Okay. So, um, okay. Um, yesterday, did anybody watch the, uh, yacht club? Yacht club presents. I I saw what came out of it and I saw that people aren't, they're kind of confused about it's, it's called Mina or something, isn't it? It's called Mina the Hollower. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And people are confused because it's gonna be kickstarted for some reason. Yeah. 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 That's kinda weird. Yacht Club Games kind of made like probably quite a lot of Shovel Knight, so that's kinda confusing. And they got that Shovel Knight money, so it's surprising, but then again, it almost feels like I feel like Kickstarters for the most part are less for the money and more to see if people are actually going to buy this game. 
Like they're just, they're trying to get they're trying to dip a toe in the water and see how everybody's reacting to stuff and being yeah. like, oh, they're gonna throw money to this game already. Maybe it'll do really well. Well, yes. So okay, so there's a few things about this. So um Shovel Knight was a Kickstart game, right? I think it was like 2013. It's amazing how old yeah. Shovel Knight is now. But 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 Yacht Club was was nothing, right? It was a startup. Mm-hmm. When when Shovel Knight got kickstarted. Now we know Shovel Knight has grown with expansion after expansion. There was the fighting game. Um and now Yacht Club branched out into publishing, right? They published Cyber Shadow last year. Oh yeah, which is really good. That they, was really good. And they have other studios doing Shovel Knight. A different studio did uh, Pocket Dungeon that came out uh, in yeah. December. Another studio is doing Shovel Knight Dig, which is the roguelite. That's not Yacht Club, but Yacht Club is publishing it, right? So, so the answer is like yes, Yacht Club does not need the money. They don't need to do a Kickstarter. But at this point, Kickstarter is. Uh, it feels like Kickstarter is way more of a marketing tool than it is a crowdfunding tool. Yeah. And for Yacht Club, who has this foundation in crowdsourcing funding for the original uh, Shovel Knight, it does kind of make sense that they want that community feel for Mina the Hollower. They want the stretch goals. They like, People like getting the monthly dev updates. They like feeling like they're part of the development process. They like watching the stretch goals and seeing what other content they're going to unlock. Mm. Like, like people come to Kickstarter not just to um, pre-order a game, but also to be investors and feel like they're part of the process. That's true. And and there's a connection between Yacht Club and Kickstarter already. Mm-hmm. So. As much as it, it's kind of gross to see like big companies use Kickstarter because they don't need the money, they could just fund the game. And Yacht Club said that they're funding the game internally, right? Like they're mostly funding the game internally. This is going to be like stretch goals and, you know, basically used as a pre-order tool. Okay. Um, I, I, I guess okay. I get it. I, I don't... Uh... I mean, that's what I expected, but yeah, it does seem kind of odd, like... Kickstarter seems like its whole purpose has been kind of bastardized over the last couple of years. Like, it's Absolutely. not really what it meant to be. Like, it was always like, oh, we're going to kickstart this project. And now it's more like, yeah, we got the money, but uh, we have other stuff we want to do. So I guess we'll put it up on Kickstarter. Yeah. So the real problem here is that Kickstarter is a terrible platform that nobody <laughs> should support. All of this Web3 blockchain bullshit that they're doing is massively exploitative. Nobody, nobody should be supporting any of this stuff. They have a Kickstarter has a long history of real, real yikesy shit. So like if anything, that's what we should be upset about. Kickstarter is a bad, bad platform. I wasn't even aware of that whole debacle. (laughs) Please look into this. Kickstarter is bad news. There are there are alternatives that people should be using, um, but Kickstarter is like the name brand, man. People know mm-hmm. we go to Kickstarter. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about Mina. Did you guys see the trailer, George? I thought I thought you would have liked this. I, one. I saw screenshots after it got announced, so it's like Zelda based, but I didn't look into it after that. 
the, the Kickstarter thing had me kind of go like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll think about that tomorrow, yeah. and then I just forgot. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I've seen screenshots of it, and it definitely looks like it would be my jam. Uh, like, similar, it's, it, I like that uh, Yacht Club is all about just taking old games and then finding a way to work on those mechanics, work on those formulas, and introduce them to a new generation. Mm. And if this is supposed to be kind of like another like uh, Link to the Past type uh, game, then uh, I think that sounds swell. I think, I think that would probably, they're going to knock it out of the park. Oh yeah, they'll probably, yeah. They'll probably do it justice. Um, I trust them for that, because Shovel Knight was pretty great, yeah. but... Uh... It looks it looks really cool to me. I It's, it's very much like, yeah, um, Link to the Past meets um like castlevania yeah i think mm. um and they're doing cool stuff it's it's a ode to the game boy color right and so to that end they're only using a color palette that uh that would have worked on the game boy color right uh, that's a nice touch i like and that. stuff like that yeah so um yeah. they're using like the same tile like the eight by eight tiles and the limited sprites and stuff, so that it looks like a Game Boy Color game. That's that's neat. Uh, that's not really for me. Um, no. I wouldn't mind if it was Game Boy Color inspired, but for a modern generation. But I, I personally don't always really like the let's do eight bit graphics because eight bit. You know, like I'd like it. I'm trying to think of the game. There was a game I remember seeing that someone like. Ah, there's no point. I won't remember it. It's gone complete from my head. But someone like did a eight bit, but what it looked like with modern, like uh, they have like light and render and stuff like that, and that looked really cool because you could tell it was inspired, but using te- technology for now to advance it. Um, whereas this kind of, I don't know. I haven't seen it really, so I'm judging off of what Erica said. But yeah, meta that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if this game is taking inspiration from the Game Boy Color and using that palette, but probably finding a way to make the game run and feel a little bit more modern. Yeah, you oh, know, yeah. So. yeah. This this yeah. is me basing it off of one screenshot that I saw at like two AM last night. So <laughs> don't don't oh, take no, it. It's it. very it's very like snappy, very actiony. Right. Um, yeah, looks really fun. Um. So speaking of. Uh, Web3 and shit that I hate. Uh, Worms developer Team17 uh, announced oh and canceled an NFT project this week. This is a um, trend. <laughs> probably the fastest turnaround we've seen for one of these studio announces an NFT and then cancels it when everybody yells at them. Yep. Stalker would be um, the next one, right? Stalker was like a yeah. day and it was like, yeah, we're not doing we, this anymore. We keep... Android Baker. Yep, yeah, Troy, Troy Baker also uh, canceled his NFT project this week. We keep seeing this happen. And it yeah. makes me wonder, at what point are they going to decide not to do the NFT before they announce it? Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think, I mean, I think it, it, people are like, oh, it's going to pivot to them just not announcing the cancellation at all. But I just think they're just not going to cancel them. Like they just They'll just have them and not make a show out of it so they don't get the hate and then they can just keep going on with it. Like to be yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. To be hopeful, you'd think like, oh, maybe this will stop NFT projects. No, it won't. They're just gonna stop doing Twitter campaigns and trying to announce it like so, a big thing. Yeah, they're just not gonna mention it, and they're just gonna put it in their games, and then when it comes out, they'll be like, eh, whatever, it's already in there. Yep. So realistically, it's not the Twitter comments that are making these 
people and companies back down. Yeah. It's not, it's not just a bunch of random people on the internet getting mad. It's because it's affecting their business. Right. And for team 17, they lost partners over it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's such a bad look mm-hmm. that it's hitting them in their wallets, which is all that matters. Mm. So as long as that keeps happening, then we'll be able to, we'll be able to keep publishers and uh, developers away from NFTs. But um, like, make no mistake, it does not matter how many angry Twitter comments you leave. Oh, like, that's man. not, that's not what's making the difference here. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, is this going to taper off or is this going to get worse? Oh, it's going to get it's so wild. much worse. Because Ubisoft isn't backing down. Worse, but it is interesting because uh, there was a story about EA saying that they weren't exactly going to be going into the NFT business. Mm. But then again, Ubisoft has been like all in on NFTs, so it it really does seem like it's going all over the place. Yeah, I like because I I think that was today that someone from EA said they were like, I'm trying to think exactly what they said, but it was. The message was, oh, we're, we're, we're seeing how it plays out. Not to abandon the idea, but, you know, the future's unclear yeah. sort of thing. So it's basically EA saying, wait for the heat to die down, and then here's your FIFA NFTs. They're not saying they won't do it. I guarantee EA will do it. I'd love them not to, but we, we're not that lucky. It is EA, so it, whenever you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, I bet EA will do the right thing. That's probably <laughs> not the right line of thinking. I also the thing about NFTs that always bothers me is the sense of desperation out of them. Like, was anybody really desperate for worms <laughs> of all things to become NFTs? Yeah, like yeah, worms yeah. is barely even a franchise these days, and you want to turn it into NFTs. That reeks of let's try to make as much money as we can quick. Yeah, I I agree with that. That's all it is. Yeah, that's absolutely all it is. Mm. There there is no there is no product. There is no customer incentive. It is purely a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this isn't hyperbole. That that is what an NFT is. It's a pump like, and dump. Market is going to crash. Ponzi this market scheme. is going to crash hard. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think I actually was reading. Uh, you, uh, there's a meme of a little girl looking at the camera while a house burns. And uh, apparently that sold as an NFT for like 400 grand, if I read that correctly. And it's like, who is paying for this? They're not going to blow up as an investment. So it's like every time we see one of these headlines about an NFT selling for hundreds of thousands of millions, it's important to realize that uh, they are laundering money and they are pumping by trading with themselves. Like people are not actually spending millions. They are buying and selling these NFTs to themselves to show that there's value. There is no value to any of it. Mm. <laughs> they do not exist. It is not anything. My God. It's a Ponzi scheme. You, okay. You mean to tell me my cartoon ape isn't going to make me a millionaire? <laughs> uh, there, there's money to be made. Some people will get rich, but that's how a Ponzi scheme works, right? The 99% get left holding the bag. Because they took because the one percent took all the money from from the dupes. Yep. From the bigger fools. That's that's how it works. That's the point of it. And it sucks to see uh, games get wrapped up into it. Um, luckily we haven't nothing that I care about, you know, <laughs> there's no there's no Pokemon <laughs> NFTs yet. You know? Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe um, maybe Ubisoft floundering will steer away the rest of uh 
the big publishers because on EA's earning call, um, they distanced from NFTs. You know, three or four months ago, EA said NFTs are, are the future of the industry. And then yesterday, they're like, we don't have any plans to do that right now. So, I mean, when EA are seeming like the good guys in a story, then you know something's really messed up about, about, <laughs> about a situation. Um, okay, remember last week when, man, I've been complaining a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> I need to I need to check my attitude. The gamer uh, podcast, all about la- bitching. <laughs> yeah, remember last week and I was like, "It's all video game movies from here on out. Everything is going to be a movie. It's never going to mm-hmm. stop." Yep. Uh, here comes it takes two the movie. Oh, uh, I forgot about this. Or he, yeah. he doesn't like the Oscars. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, this won't get an funny. Oscar. <laughs> the, the story of It Takes Two is the worst bit of It Takes Two. I was about to say, can we all agree that It Takes Two has a really not good story? Yeah. <laughs> it's about If you're going to get divorced, turn into dolls, and then fight a vacuum cleaner, and you'll get back together. Yeah. It's it's I about just, the stories you tell in this cooperative experience that can't be done in any medium. It is not. We don't like yeah. me and Cody. Like, don't do this. It's so there bad. are no co-op movies. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, there. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's like, what's stupid. great about it, it takes two does not translate to movies or TV. It, it, I can all. see it being a fun thing. Like the premise is good. But like, it's not an original premise at all. Like, there's no, two parents. Two parents get turned into inanimate objects slash kids slash whatever to see that what they're doing is wrong. Like that. That's a. That's the plot of like so many films. It literally feels like a movie plot straight out of the eighties. Yep. Like it, it. I swear, I've seen like kids' movies with this exact plot. Yeah. And that's probably why it's getting made, right? It's, it's yeah, so kids, formulaic. It's so familiar. Ugh. Cool. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, that studio, like, it's weird because they seem to be really devoted to telling stories in their games, yet the best story they ever told in any of their games was Brothers, uh, Tale of, I forget the full Tale title, of Brothers. And, yeah, and it was just because there was no dialogue. <laughs> Everything was just done through the game. And then they started adding dialogue, and suddenly the stories got a lot worse. Yep. I don't want to see this at all. I, 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 I just... Oh god, it's like it's like the epitome of missing the point. Like I can see, yeah. I can see someone looking at Uncharted and go, "Wow, that Nathan Drake, he's a he's a funny scoundrel." Like let's make him a an action movie star because they're basically action movies yeah. already. But no, no one right. saw played it takes two and went, "This works as a film." I need more. Yeah, yeah. I need, <laughs> I need more. more of these characters. <laughs> Where's the law? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, at the very least, at least it's not a way out being turned into a movie because that would have been ten times worse. Yeah, is that I I, I? I maintain that that game has a terrible plot. The twist is pretty. Terrible. The twist was, to be honest, the twist got me I mean, and the person I played with. I didn't get that at all until it happened. Well, yeah. I, I think the thing about it that always got me about that game was that the voice acting sounded like two Europeans doing their best American accent. That's it's true. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm going to help you get out of prison. <laughs> it's just, it was just really hard, really hard to buy in. Yeah, it was a good but segue I... into Dying Light too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we're gonna save that actually. I think uh, I think we're gonna take a quick break now, and we're going to jump into Pokemon Legends Arceus. Jamie, stick around. I will. All right, be right back. 
Welcome back to the show. It's time to talk Pokemon. I have three expert Pokemon trainers on our panel. Jamie Latour. Yeah. Mahin Kasor. Hello. And Stacey Henley-Sor. <laughs> I had to make <laughs> it fit. <laughs> uh, we have all been neck deep in Pokemon for the last week. Uh, and let's start. Let me just get a gut check before we dive into it from everyone. Stacy, what's your what's your top level feeling so far? Um, I think I need to let the dust settle a little bit on exactly where it stands, but it's it's definitely one of the best games since Heart Gold. I kind of think everything before Heart Gold, the new put on games, just aren't going to touch. They they don't seem willing to take advantage of the potential they have now. But since Heart Gold. There's really been Let's Go and Snap that I've enjoyed as much as this, and I don't know where it fits on the scale of those three. Do you specifically like Heart Gold and not Soul Silver, or do you mean both? I, that? Both of them. I mean, I, I played <laughs> Heart Gold, but they're both right as a partnership. It's too long to say. It's too long to say them all. HGSS. That's why. I just, that's just me. Mahim, what are your feelings? Um, I feel like I'm such a Pokemon purist that it feels weird. It feels like a, it doesn't feel like I'm playing a real Pokemon game. It feels like I'm playing like a fan mod, but you know, that's not a bad thing, but like the same as Stacy, I kind of need the dust to settle a little bit. I, my mind is just so not used to playing a game like this, but that's neither negative or positive. I think I do just have to get used to the idea of it first, but actually no, for the most part, it is a positive experience. I am enjoying it. It's just weird as a Pokemon fan playing this game that is so not typical Pokemon. It has to sink in. Mm. Jamie? So my position on Pokemon actually is pretty interesting because I would say up until I touched Shining Diamond uh, last year, I hadn't really touched a Pokemon game since Pokemon Blue. Damn. Like with the original Game Boy. Uh, so when that came out, when uh, Diamond came out, I'm like, eh, you know, I haven't, I haven't played a Pokemon game in forever. Let me give this a try. And I was like, wow, this, uh, this formula really hasn't changed too much over the last 20 <laughs> years, has it? It's pretty much the exact same. So yeah. this feels like the first time I think they've actually tried something uh, because this is a whole other thing. Like, this is like a game where you actually, the whole point of it isn't just the turn-based battles. You go around, you're doing like little stealthy thrown balls and getting Pokemon and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I will say for the first time in a long time, I was like, I could see myself finishing a Pokemon game, which uh, was uh, not something I could ever see myself saying. It is certainly a whole other thing. Uh, there's no denying that. Um, can Stacy? can you give us like, the broad strokes of what Legends Arceus is? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll try. Um, most of the Pokemon games, as Jamie's just alluded, are, are very similar games. You start as a 10-year-old child, you get sent off into the world, you beat eight gyms, you become the champion. There's normally some weird cosmic thing that happens in the middle. Um, Pokemon Legends Arceus, it keeps the whole you are a child, you're a little bit older, but you're still a child. There's still a weird cosmic thing going on. But there's no gyms. It's set way in the past when people are still kind of figuring out what Pokemon are and how to work with them. There's no, not really very many Pokemon trainers. We don't have partner Pokemon. 
people are still kind of scared and getting used to it. It's kind of like Pokemon with the the Monster Hunter world kind of set up where you have a hub where you go back to each time, you restock, you do little quests, you speak to people, then you go out to a specific region. And there's a lot more emphasis on not just catching Pokemon and filling the Pokedex like the old games, but in actually discovering them, actually being a scientist, and you have to see them perform certain moves or see them catch certain types of the species like uh, by gender or by size or by weight to try and find out about them. Whereas in the normal games, you just catch a Pokemon and it'll go, this thing is seven times hotter than the sun. I think, no, it's not. It's slug. <laughs> it's not. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of the Pokemon meets Monster Hunter where you go out into various, not quite fully open worlds, but certainly little hub areas where you get to explore and, and wander. And it's a pretty good Pokemon game. Not sure how good a game it is overall, but I don't yeah. care because other games don't have Pokemon mm. in them. That's kind of how I feel too. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to separate the Pokemon from the game, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I, I like obviously everyone who is playing this game on the internet it loves this game. It's the best game ever made, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay yeah this game is really weird to me um i am having a lot of fun but at the same time i'm like this game is not very good yeah this game doesn't look good the there's a lot of frustrating things about it i'll give you that yeah i actually Uh, totally agree with that assessment (laughs) the, the world is so empty and bland every region is the same and mm-hmm. like has the same pokemon in it yeah you a just lot of them get see... repeated it's weird how often like <laughs> yeah every region everywhere's got a starly why or a starly sphinx so many side ducks sphinx yeah. side ducks <laughs> yeah I'm like, um, yeah. I'm such a Pokemon purist that you say all these things and I'm only hearing positives. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, is the, that is the thing, though. Like, are there, It's easy to say, oh, it's just because it's got Pokemon, but every other game has had 25 years to do this. They've not done it. There's not right. another game that I would play because it has a certain creature in it. Right. Yeah, like, totally. I wouldn't uh, play a good Batman game. Or, I'm sorry, I wouldn't play a bad <laughs> Batman game no matter how much I love Batman. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I uh, think I'm very biased because I'll buy anything with Pokemon slapped on the front of it. So that's yeah. why I'm having such like a hard time to like figure out what it's all about completely. But that's just my Pokemon mind. And I am for the most part loving it. But it is weird how they've kind of meshed together this open-ish world, led, uh, Breath of the Wild type exploration with pokemon and i feel like instead of meshing two whole genres together they've gotten half of one and half of the other so Mm. like some of the adventure and running around elements are a bit funny the controls can be a bit funny sometimes running on weird ear is like uh (laughs) and then running when you're not on weird ear is another button and yeah. little things like that, it's just... And there's no wheel when you run. You can't see when your stamina's about to run out. Little things like that. And then on the other side, the Pokemon side, the Pokemons now don't have abilities. Uh, you can't give them items. So there's, like, things that they're cutting from either side and mesh together. It doesn't 100% work, but as a Pokemon fan, 
and as a Pokemon fan that's been a bit bored with the formula in recent days, and not even in recent days, in a, for a long while, I applaud them for even trying something new like this. Yeah, definitely. It's a credit where credit's due situation because there are so many departures from the Pokemon formula yep. here uh, mm. in big and small ways. I see tons of um, like guides and tips all over like um, TikTok and Twitter and stuff of the most obvious things because they're different than what Pokemon has always done. And so we're certain things are so ingrained in our heads. Like for instance, when, if you're in a battle and your full team dies, you can just walk away. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you can just right, like, guys, you're them... all dead. I'm just, I'm just going to head over here. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of like, Hey, PSA, did you know if you lose your whole team, it doesn't matter. You can just like keep playing. You can just like walk somewhere else, heal them up, throw Pokeballs, whatever. And we all just assume that you can't do that because that's not how Pokemon works. And there's so many things like that. I actually really, I really like the fact that um, this is the first Pokemon game. I think that has ever just been like, yeah, these Pokemon can kill you. Like they can just (laughs) wreck you. Like for the first time ever, these magical monsters that spit fire and electricity could just straight up murder a person. Because I remember playing it, and literally there's one character who's like, yeah, I got hit by Thundershock, and I was in the yeah. hospital for like two weeks. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, good, finally. Finally, they acknowledge that these things are super dangerous. Have you tried walking into, like, when two Pokemon are fighting and just standing in the middle? It's hilarious. You just get knocked I back. haven't even seen them fight. I didn't even know they fought at, at one point. No, like in your battles. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I, yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. Actually, that is one middle. thing. Uh so, like, again, like, the game is, does look very bland. The world and everything like that looks very samey. And also, I kind of wish that the Pokemon had a bit more behavior to them. Because yeah. I always feel like you walk up into an area, you see some Pokemon, and they're just kind of walking around waiting to either see you or be caught by you. Yeah, and that's, especially yeah, compared I, to Snap. They, they just walk. Yeah. They yeah. don't live in that world. Right. Yeah, they're just there. They're just like items for you to pick up, which I wish they had a bit more behavior. I wish that like a Pikachu acted a little differently than say like uh, a Badoof or whatever. Like I wish that they just had different sets of behavior to make catching them a little bit more difficult or a little just a little bit more different if anything. Just because I feel like the way to do anything is you walk in the tall grass, you wait for them to turn around, you throw a ball at their butt and then they go on the side of the ball. Right. Yeah. And I just yeah. wish there was a bit more like I, I this is probably a bad like correlation, but like in like a game like say Red Dead Redemption 2, where there's a big hunting aspect, <laughs> the animals all have no. different behaviors. They all have different ways that you have to go hunt them down. And I think it would be neat if this game had explored that kind of a thing, like how you would go to catch a drowsy. Maybe you had to do something special to do that. And I just think that that could have been a cool thing instead of them just being things that are just kind of sliding around the terrain. I I completely agree with you there. But just playing devil's advocate and being the huge Pokemon nerd I am, this is like the same thing why people got annoyed with them taking out national decks. And I promise you, any one of the people working on this game will probably have some kind of excuse like, 
oh, well, you know, we've programmed so many Pokemon into this game. Like, it would be hard for us to give them different personalities and blah, 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 this and that. But that's, There's, two, there's po- 240 of them. There's, I know, there's I many. know. It's not, there's not that many, but I just have a feeling that's what they would say just because of... I, I, they, are, they have been really lazy, even with stuff like oh. taking out the national decks. And even graphics-wise, like... I, the, it does look not the but in some places the art design really does save it the art and the attack on titan looking sky and in some <laughs> moments it does look all right if you squint and close one eye it looks all right i actually uh <laughs> the one thing i never understand about these pokemon games is i don't understand why they can't throw more money at them because right? pokemon is it's the biggest franchise that Nintendo has. Yeah. You think they could just be like, here, have an extra $10 million to put towards something. It always yeah. seems like these games are like really underfunded for some reason, despite the fact that it's Pokemon. It's, yeah. the, it's not the biggest franchise Nintendo has. It's the biggest franchise that In exists. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Three so times bigger than Mario. Just hire more even people. Yeah, A lot there you go. A lot of Pokemon fans will defend them like me and 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 be and have all these excuses and it's just like hire more people. Like I mean I'm obviously not a game maker, but just hire more people. I mean, I'm gonna talk about Snap again because I love Snap, but I, I understand that Snap is on Rails that you only see the Pokemon in specific moments when the game wants you to, and yes, you can kind of zoom forward and zoom back, but it's pretty rigged when you're gonna see that Pokemon behave as opposed to wandering in the wild. But that's true. They were so their behavior was so active within yeah, um, Snap. They they responded to everything. They would, if you threw uh, some fruit towards them and two of them are together, they would fight. I know Venusaur does that in one of the levels with, I think, an Arbok. There's so many layers to how the Pokemon, one, react normally in Snap. If you just ride through the level and don't do anything, you'll still see them going about their business. You can lure them in different places with the fruit. You can hit them with the Lumina Orb. There's so much behavior in Snap. And I think following Snap up with an open world Pokemon game and then right. just having, oh, the Graveler does a roly poly. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and and then not... what? Oh, then he stops and does another one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. That's 100% accurate. Yeah. Like so... after Snap, like bringing up Snap, they are so animated in that game. I wish that was what they were like in this game. That would be, that would have made it so much better. And, you know, they really don't have an excuse because I just Googled it and they have now they have 234 Pokemon in Pokemon Snap. And that's roughly uh, how many? How many is there? Two four is 242 in Legends, I think. Yeah. And there's 234 in Snap. So they really don't have an excuse. Eight. There's eight fewer. Like, (laughs) I know the game is made in a different way. I understand that a real shooter is different to an open world game, but the, the difference is so big. Give the open world Pokemon game more money, as Jimmy says. They they make enough of it. Um, I just think there's so much going on that yeah. it's a shame that Pokemon phones in so much. It's not. I don't even think it's like laziness or like oh, they don't care or that it's greed. It just seems like the way they make games is not conducive to making great games, and that's weird that we still buy them all, but other games don't have Pikachu. That's probably why they don't end up spending that much money on them. It's probably because they're just like, they got to buy in anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I will never, the thing is, I can't stop myself from buying them. I do not have the self-control to stop myself from buying them. (laughs) I will sit here and complain about every Pokemon game and then buy the next one. (laughs) Um, There was an interview with Game Freak earlier this year. 
and they described a lot of their development processes and you've never heard a studio run like this before yeah um they for every project they have an entire new hierarchy (laughs) and they take all the junior developers and make them seniors and make all of the experienced developers become their mentors because they want to promote they want to promote young developers and give them the opportunity to lead so every pokemon game you play the guy who's making the guy who's in charge of it the the druckman of that game it's always their first game yeah that's so weird that's an odd way of going about things okay and that's why they're all the same because the the guy who made the last one is in there yet tell him here's how i did it right (laughs) so you listen to them because they're They're all made by different people that's so weird that's yeah no one ever gets bored of it because it's not the same person making it's not like it's like i don't know billy pokemon who's been made eight of them now and it's like oh let's for the next one let's do something a bit different it's always a new guy (laughs) yeah wow so uh, yeah so in some respects i want to give legends even more credit for being so different absolutely um but yeah it's like the more shit changes the more it stays the same with this game it's really weird like, I, it's still weirdly limited. It still has tons of menu frustration. Like, it still has all the Pokemon problems, despite being so different from every other Pokemon game. I I will say that, like, I I think this is definitely 100% a step in the right direction. And the same with Breath of the Wild. Like, it's the first time they've done, like, such a big-scale game like this that, you know, unless they redo the whole team, hopefully the team learns something for the next one and with breath of the world for example uh one thing i didn't like about breath of the world was that it all the temples and the interior looked the same like it was kind of like i was playing a halo forge map over and over again with the same kind of interior and there's little things like that that i think for the next game instead of making the engine or whatever or focusing on making a whole new world they can focus on you know polishing up all the little bits and i with with breath of the world and legends arceus i really do think the a, num- a number two or the number two will be uh, closer to something that we all like this is a, a good base for a future franchise i think it's more of a proof of concept of anything uh it could definitely turn into something a lot better in the future uh i would also say that in the future too if they do i mean i'm assuming they're going to make a sequel to this because it's so successful but um, oh you definitely have not played Pokemon for a long time with that no 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 no. that's not how it works oh no okay well then there you go i'm a poke like i said pokemon blue was the last one i played so like it's been a while but i'm just uh, still waiting on a new let's go i'm sorry better which was an excellent proof of concept which sold very well which everyone loved which had fewer problems than this and they still wow i I just let's do brilliant diamond instead it's so weird i also would say that if they're going to tackle this because this is basically like an open world rpg uh i feel like the one of the biggest things about pokemon is that the world and the story have always been incredibly undercooked like it's always like you said everything's got the same format i'm a little kid i catch pokemon i go to the gyms i beat the masters i win that's been the story and there's maybe something on the side because i remember in blue you had to go catch a a, a couple of the legendary birds or whatever 
And mm -hmm. uh, like, there's always something on the side, but every story kind of follows the same thing. This is the first Pokemon game in years that seems to do something different narratively, which I was very happy about. But they also, it's, it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers, the stuff they did. Um, because literally the game starts with you falling out of the sky and God steals your cell phone. Yeah. And I'm just like, how did you, <laughs> how is this thing? Like, God sucks you into a black hole, steals your cell phone, spits you out in the past, and now you're just running around working for some kind of, like, I don't know, whatever century this is, police force. Yeah, and there's, I, a, there's I, this huge, like, tear in the sky, and then yeah, people will say, oh, yeah, they're just, oh, you know what I'd really like to see? Can you show me a snail at a different color? <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about the giant hole in the sky that's causing space-time continuum problems. Uh, I need to go find a bigger weasel. <laughs> I, 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 my pencil's too small. I want to see a bigger one. <laughs> I remember leading up to this game coming out and all the trailers and it being like an ancient old timey Pokemon and then there being a phone and everyone was going crazy. Like, why is there a phone? Like, it's, yeah. it's meant to be olden days stuff. And then when I played the game and yeah, you do get dropped into this world and Arceus like upgrades your phone. Uh, it, I was like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense. But then, you know. It, oh, Pokemon, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> to me it does and you know pokemon's never really been about like huge in-depth stories i mean apart from maybe black and white which had which is a whole nother can of worms but i i for pokemon i think it's i mean i don't, none of us have finished the game but i am hoping for something different when it comes to the end and the story and stuff like that but at the same time i'm not too annoyed if the story doesn't make sense because as a pokemon fan i've learned to live with it <laughs> There is one one thing I definitely have to mention because it blew my mind when this came up in the game. It's like a lore-changing event that like completely alters Pokemon lore forever. It's the moment where they say all Pokemon have the ability to shrink down and go into Pokeballs, and that's how you've always been able to catch them. When that yeah. came up, I'm like, okay, you just broke this world forever because that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, it makes like, no sense. It's Pokemon, though. Like, it you must have to be a weird translation thing. It has to be. Because, like, I'm like, you throw a ball at them. So and if they're fight. choosing to shrink down, yeah. why sure, are they choosing I'm to do sure that? I'm not sure Pokemon is like a game that you kind of need to think about, like, all of these scientific things about it. Like, but this they doesn't put make these sense. things that in doesn't there. make sense. Like, you just have to think about the fun parts. <laughs> if, if you want to be generous to Pokemon, this is something that Ben mentioned before, if you want to be generous to Pokemon, this is set a long time ago, before we kind of understand science. There were a lot of things that, you know, real science used to say that kind of made sense, but were completely wrong. You know, sure. you talk about health being done by the humors. Ah. So it might be one of those things where the professor in this world that does not know Pokemon just kind of says, oh, yeah, the, the shrink, that's how it works. And everyone goes, yeah, you look smart with that purple hat on. You're definitely an intelligent <laughs> human being who makes smart life choices. Let's believe you. The only thing I don't get is that you make the Pokeballs out of acorns and stones. So I'm just like, yeah. how does that suck them in? What is that? Yeah, in in like modern Pokemon, they like get disintegrated down into like I don't know, like complex code, and then get reassembled. Yeah. But you can't. Yeah, that's that's how they really work, like the modern Pokeballs. But you can't do that with an acorn and a rock. 
<laughs> you can't you can't do that without knowing you're doing it. You can't just accidentally put disintegration technology inside a fruit and go, no. ah, but, but they're probably shrinking. It's just you know they what? shrink. With Pokemon, I think we could spend forever just nitpicking and finding all the ways that you know it doesn't make sense. And I you know, will. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. A lot of it doesn't make sense. But like for the most part, I think it is just more about having fun and playing the game and adventuring. And there is a lot of dumb stuff happening in Pokemon. There is. I'm not even going to sit here and try and defend it too much. But it, it is. About, it, it is about you? the. Uh, it is about the. Uh, <laughs> the gameplay at least in my point of view can we talk about colonization or am i going to alienate everyone that could possibly be listening to this <laughs> you can try <laughs> i'm gonna try anyway um i am fascinated by this the the premise of legends i uh i love the idea of um ye olden times in the pokemon world we discover that the relationship between people and Pokemon doesn't exist, right? They fear each other. The world is a lot more violent. There's less harmony. It's not the carefree, uh, childlike innocence that we see in all the other Pokemon games. This is like, as Jamie alluded to, a very like dangerous and harsh world. And we can see that the result of that is because people in Pokemon don't have a good relationship with each other. So your role as a time traveler or whatever is to bring people in Pokemon closer together. And I think we see that happen in a lot of really interesting ways through the game. We see like people that are sort of curious about Pokemon. Oh, have you seen this one with the cute ears? I'd like to know more about that. And then you go get it for them and you bring it into the village and, and a, often what you're doing not only are you like doing research about pokemon but you're also like bringing the pokemon to the village so that bridging the gap you can bridge the gap and that's really cool but then it starts to take some really weird turns like for instance there's a farm and you're constantly expanding that farm by going out into the wild and taking pokemon and bringing them back to put them to work on the farm and we, we see how Pokemon get put to work, right? In the modern era, Pokemon are construction workers and sure. firefighters, right? But this is, this is the moment where Pokemon stopped having their own identity and started becoming tools of human expansion. And a lot of the game is like going out into the wild and establishing camps and growing your foothold in the world. And it's just... It's a, and I don't think I'm like grasping at straws here. It is kind of gross, right? I think it would be, I think it would be slightly more gross if, well, a lot more gross if you were in some way stealing the land. I understand that like Pokemon are people too, and Pokemon have feelings and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but you're putting up a tent in a forest. Um, you're building homes for people. I I don't think it's as um. I think it would be a lot worse if there was some kind of white savior deal or like enemy invaders or like the indigenous people have to be moved off their land because they're hoarding resources that could be more better used for capitalism. You know, you're, ca you're catching ducks. 
such an in-depth conversation about Pokemon before. This is above my head. <laughs> I, I, I get the colonialism angle. And you are literally colonized. You are literally building colonies. But I think that word in it is so kind of loaded with the idea of white people going over to unoccupied land and moving the people who occupied it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this sense, we're just kidnapping them and putting them to work. No, because they're not. No, because they're not people. They're, they're, mm. they're semi. No, there's no. Mm, they aren't people. They are Pokemon, <laughs> which is somewhere between a person and an animal. And I, I, yeah. I get it. I get. It's I get. That they're either animals or they're gods. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's kind of weird yeah. that you can kind of just go to a swamp and go, "Hello, hippo. You seem very happy." I need you to dig up some turf on my farm. <laughs> I mean, I if, the, get that. if the cartoon is anything to go by, it they love it. They they love it, and everyone. Well, I guess if the white Pokemon. man's propaganda is anything to go by, exactly, it's good for them. <laughs> they I love mean, it, and like Pokemon has always been about like you know hoarding as many Pokemon as you can, completing the Pokedex, having them in your PC. I mean. Sometimes I do release a few Pokemon because I think you have a better life outside. But Pokemon's <laughs> always been about that. I hoard my Pokemon. They they stay with me to the end. They're not going anywhere. You gotta release them, Jamie. You get great. no. They're sticking with me. I don't care. You belong to me now. <laughs> they, need to, um, they need to bring back Pokemon Ranch. There was this game on WiiWare where you would take all your leftover Pokemon and have it on a farm with your Mies and play little mini games with them and stuff. And it it made like hoarding all the Pokemon that you have a, a little. You feel a little bit less guilty from it. So I've, sometimes they do try and do stuff with like oh all the leftover pokemon in your box there's now a mini game that they can do you know to try and make them seem useful and stuff like that can you can you go out into the pasture and like see all your pokemon are they all out there in legends yeah i've never counted but i I think so i've got quite a few pastures full because i haven't been trading them because i couldn't really be bothered um i will at some point have to do like a mass transfer and once i've got me pro team and give them all grit but um no, I, I'm fairly sure they're, they're all there. Certainly there's a, a lot of them collected. Um, mm. I've never walked past and kind of gone, there's only like seven Pokemon here. That's, something's not right, you know. It, as flat as they are out in the wilds, once you catch them, I think you do get to see a lot more personality from them. I mean, you can like bring them out, you can interact with them. They all have yeah. unique animations and stuff. Um, so maybe it's more care was put into that. Maybe people expect. Maybe the company, Pokemon Company, expected um, more people to be into that. Um, yeah. Which I suppose hardcore fans will be because they'll catch their favorites. They'll catch like their canon team or like their absolute favorite Pokemon that they want to see in this new um, type of game. But the majority of people, you know, you're going to see a lot more Pokemon just wandering around. It would have been better if they were a bit more boring once you had them. Yeah, especially because to actually finish the game you have to catch all of them yeah right so i've i was worried about that at the beginning like before this game came out i was like wow do i really need to see shinx use quick attack 10 times in order to progress through the story and so far like because catching pokemon is so easy i haven't really had to do random grinding and random watching pokemon use moves to progress through the story that much uh maybe that will change towards the end and maybe like uh toward i have to literally catch every single pokemon in order to get to the end but for the most part i've just been naturally catching every pokemon i see casually and because it's so easy to do so you don't even need to 
go into a battle to do that. You can just throw a Pokeball from far. It makes that a bit easier to do. And you know what? Talk to me in a week again. I might have changed my mind. But for now, yeah. I'm progressing through the story at a normal-ish pace. All right, I would now- say that that also depends on the rarity of the Pokemon. Because throughout my entire time playing, I've seen one Eevee that I managed to catch. <laughs> and I have not seen a single other Eevee. And so trying to do all the Eevee tasks means that I basically have to get that Eevee to do like a bunch of moves in order to get that research task to go up. So it depends on what the Pokemon is. I will say the research tasks, they could be a little grindy at times. They could definitely be a little grindy to get everybody done because like, yeah, if you can't just catch them or beat them up, uh, you have to do special stuff to get them to research level 10. I, I feel like I don't mind those kind of things being grinding because I'm just not going to finish the Pokedex. I've never once have I finished a Pokedex in a game. I yeah. actually blew. The very, mm-hmm. very first game blew, I did. Um, and even then, that was with like the rare candy cheat. I just think if you want to play this game for long enough that you can fill all 242, which I think is what it is, research tasks, even if you don't complete them all, but at least get them all to level 10. If you want to do that, I think it's fine that it's a grind because I'm at star level 5 now. And it was only really towards the end of four where I felt where I kind of finished what I wanted to do, and I wasn't upgraded my level high enough, so I had to go back mm. into the uh, into the wild and catch some stuff or trade me party out and do some battles to get me me lesser used Pokemon to yeah. use like use quick attack or use aerial or whatever it was. Um, so I haven't found playing it normally to be that grindy. You know, I've done four bosses now, I think, and I'm level five, four. Noble Pokemon, rather. Um, so I'm a pretty far way through the game. I haven't felt it be a grind. And if I wanted to keep playing it for hours and hours and hours afterwards, which I probably won't, <laughs> just because I have other things to play, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind having to do a little bit of grind to earn it. Because none of them that I've seen so far have been difficult. You know, sometimes you have like those impossible tasks in games. I think, why are you here? Yeah. I, I, just what Jamie said, like some of them can be really hard to find, so it's hard to complete their tasks. But mm. I, I think there there's a really nice breakdown of, and there's a really nice like incentive curve for the Pokédex to to get the ending. You just got to catch them all. To yeah. get the shiny charm, you have to get all of them to level ten. Whoa! And then past that, for every one that you complete their their page, their shiny rate increases further. On an individual oh, basis, didn't know that. yeah. So, so you only need to do that if you're the kind of person that's going to play this game for 500 hours shiny hunting, and I think that's totally fine. Yeah. And there will be dozens and dozens of hundreds of people doing that. Lots and lots of people are yeah, going to do yeah. that for sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, that's I'll how never understand Pokemon. the obsession over shiny Pokemon. I, I just <laughs> I cannot get it. This is like, okay, cool. This is a Pikachu. But it's like slightly more orange. Yeah, the Pikachu one's I, terrible. To yeah, be I just, fair. I, Pikachu is one of the worst ones. There are some bad ones. I, I think when you like it. a game, when you like a game like Pokemon so much, you're just literally looking for ways to get more out of it. And Pokemon mm-hmm. will never do that themselves. I mean, they've only really ventured with DLC with Sword and Shield. Yeah. So. Um, uh, what? What? Tell me some stuff you want to see in in a sequel. Stacey. Um, something I want to see in a sequel. I think I would want the world to feel more living. I think, I think Jamie was right. The, the big thing for me is that 
the first two places that you go to are fantastic, but then over time you're seeing the same Pokemon and you're um, seeing them behave in the same way when the new Pokemon. I also, I just, I want people, one, to talk more because I want them to actually say things with sounds, but I also want them to talk less. We've spent so long here either criticizing or justifying how terrible Pokemon's story is, and yet every time you go to a new place, there's like 17 paragraphs you've got to read through. And it's yeah, always yeah. just it, it always just kind of ends up with let's throw some food at it. I just yeah. don't really get it. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's I would like we all say the story doesn't really matter in Pokemon. This is a pretty big swing in terms of you know a new type of storytelling. And the story still doesn't really matter. So just stop trying to tell stories. There's not real Yeah. There's not really a story in Breath of the Wild. I know there is. I know there's like, oh, <laughs> kingdom was destroyed and he has Zelda and all that kind of waffle. But you can run around for 30 hours in Breath of the Wild. And all you really know is you walk up naked in a pool. He has a stick. You've just met a fish man. And people love that game. I think Pokemon could do a lot more by telling you the story a lot less. Well, and the Breath of the Wild example is good because it's, the strength is in the environmental storytelling. Yeah. Right? You're yeah. discovering these places that people used to live in and figuring out why they exist. And then all, and then so much of it is emergent because yeah. you're like surviving in this world and, and make, making your own stories. Pokemon doesn't, legends doesn't have any of that. These places aren't anything. They all are copy paste of the same bog. Like, and then, so there's nothing to see. And then there's the, the only story, emergent gameplay is like oh that this is where i saw the alpha you know? yeah that's like the only way yeah. you really engage with the world is like this is that time i found a shiny finally basically it's like that's yeah. all there is i think when um the, the th- i feel like the third noble pokemon isn't too much of a spoiler but i'll try and not spoil it when the third noble pokemon um does the thing with, when it evolves, basically. I've spoiled mm-hmm. it, sorry, it evolves. <laughs> when that <laughs> evolves, there's like a bit of storytelling going on there to the point where Pokemon could tell a lot more stories like that. Like, there's a load of Waffle Game beforehand of nothing and yeah. nonsense. But then the game kind of stops tolling at you and you just, you see the evolution, you, you understand why it's happening, you see the transformation. It does end with, let's just hoi food at its face. But all the bits are in between that. I think that's really good storytelling for a game like Pokemon. It's still not, you know, the bloody barren, but it's the, a level of storytelling that Pokemon doesn't really do very often, and it could do a yeah. lot more because all, literally all that happened is a bad thing happened, and a Pokemon decided to evolve in order to cope with that bad thing. Right. I I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've ever seen a natural evolution like that in, in any of the games. We've only seen evolutions when you got level thirty-seven. And it's like, oh no, Bulbasaur right. is evolving. Um, well, that would be, I would be sure at that level. But you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we've never <laughs> seen an actual evolution happen before our eyes. It's always just been yeah. you meet a boss later on, you meet like Gary later on, and suddenly the um, yeah. Eevee that he had is now a Jolteon. Yeah, yeah, more like the anime or something. Yeah, yeah, the anime does all the time. The anime does really good storytelling. That's the thing. Like, Pokemon yeah. isn't amazing, but there's so much better storytelling. Certainly, the early Pokemon movies I know what Eric talked a lot about, oh, and in the anime where Pokemon is capable of telling these stories and it has the framework. 
I one of my favorite Pokemon games of all time were the GameCube ones because their story was great. It was amazing. Like you caught Shadow Pokemon. There was an evil team literally attacking people and stealing their Pokeballs. It was one of the darkest Pokemon games ever. It was nowhere near to be described as dark, but it mm. was darker than anything. And if and that was a genius sonority, I think they're called something like that, that made that game. So it just goes to show like in other people's hands, Pokemon can be great. It's just I think Game Freak is so stuck in their ways when even when they try and do something different like this, it's still brought down by these Pokemon ideals and ideologies of making everything too simple and not it is in depth especially with legends arceus but not too in depth like mm. they 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 have all these great ideas and kind of poo all over them and there <laughs> are yeah, like it, yeah yeah it, it's just like it's it's disappointing at times because there are definitely moments in that game where i'm like they're actually trying something here mm. like uh there's that one tribal leader who's like you trap these pokemon in these little balls when they should be running free and I'm like, that's interesting. I I didn't think they were going to go in this direction. And then literally after the Cleaver fight, she's just like, oh, oh, actually, no, it's good that you do that. That's totally cool. I'm glad you do that. And I'm like, well, you had a moment there, but then you just went completely back on it. So, that is, that yeah. is the, that pretty much defines Pokemon stories yeah. right there. They, <laughs> Pokemon can't help but question the nature of what you're doing and then not provide any actual solution at all like that's yeah. just every movie every story is exactly that it's like actually the way that you engage with pokemon is wrong and you should not do it and then a half hour later it's like you know what it's fine actually <laughs> don't worry about I, it <laughs> i bet it's because they don't want anybody to think too hard about what pokemon truly is because if you really went deep into it it's essentially you are training animals to fight each other and I feel like if Nintendo really dug into that, they'd be like, Ugh, this I know is they bad. do all the time, though. They constantly yeah. question it all the time. <laughs> yeah, they never and change. They still yeah. do it. I think the reason that they like brush it under the carpet so much is because when Pokemon was first a big thing, like during the 90s, there were like parents just like constantly complaining about like animal abuse and stuff like that. So I think they do mention it on purpose often and then brush it under the carpet just as often just to prove to like you know parents and stuff that it's they, not know, even brushing it under the carpet it. though like they can't they are face these things had the first pokemon movie is about how violence isn't the answer like that that's the <laughs> yeah. message at the end of that movie violence yeah, is literally the, the answer in every pokemon all the pokemon game. stop yeah. fighting each other at the uh, in the pokemon movie, the pokemon they, they, stop they, fighting and realize that fighting isn't the answer. After after they cry while fighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, they they don't avoid these things. They just have they don't I have like, anything to say. I feel like they yeah they don't they definitely don't have anything to say. They definitely try and brush it underneath the carpet. But like with the anime, it's so different to the game. I feel like uh, they had they definitely have more to say with it. It's in my opinion, they're kind of worlds apart. The games and the anime. Uh, a lot of people. Will, will go back and watch some of the movies like you said and enjoy some, especially some of the early ones um but with the games especially the new ones there's there is a lot of plot holes and there is a lot of like stupid stuff going on 
Um, but it's more forgivable in the anime because they kind of do go into it maybe a little bit more. It's still very weird. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's just finish this up real, real quick with um, what, what you want to see in the sequel. I mean... I want to see more trainers because I get that, you know, it's during a time that Pokemon and people didn't really get along, but I would have loved to have had, you know, all this cool stuff about uh, a noble Pokemon and it being old timey and in the olden days and whatever, but then also have trainers like that would have been so cool. Imagine if Legends Arceus also had gyms. And it was like levels on levels of different things going on. One of the best things about Pokemon has always been about the journey, <laughs> the journey and not like the story <laughs> per se, like, you know, getting badges and making your Pokemon stronger and the whole uh, story without there being an actual story of it. Uh, graphics, obviously, I want that to be better and pretty much everything Stacy said. Yeah, my answer was quite long. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what about you? Uh, a lot of that, a lot of that, uh, just like, you know, I, 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 when I play games, I'll admit I'm a big narrative guy. I, I tend to get sucked into games. Like if a game has amazing gameplay, I'll probably end up playing it and sticking with it. But if it has also an amazing narrative, there's a good chance that I'm going to want to stick around more to see how it all plays out. And I think that with this game right now, I'm just sitting there going like, there's no way there's going to be a satisfying reason why God wants me to catch all these Pokemon. Like, there's no way like, I'm going to catch all these Pokemon and then God's going to be like, good job. Go home. Like, that's it. Like, like, I just, I don't, I wish there was just more to the Pokemon world. Like, like, like Stacy said, Breath of the Wild story isn't that in-depth. It isn't that advanced, but like, they, I felt like more attached to that story also because of the voice acting. Like, Princess Zelda in that game has some incredible moments that are acted out beautifully. Like I, I grew to like some of those characters because they just had great acting in them. And it's really hard that in this game, all the characters, there's not really a lot to tell about their personalities other than one of them wears a cowboy hat or something. Like yeah. there's just not a yeah. whole lot for me to attach myself or get attached to other than the fact that, oh, that Pokemon looks nice. I would like to have that inside of my ball. Like, I wish there was just more of a reason, just something more to draw me in, and that the Pokemon themselves just were a little bit more lively, and and of course, obviously, maybe maybe we have a different kind of, maybe just a couple of places that don't look like they're just flat terrain. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I will quickly also say that, that, very that, that too, also uh, voice acting, also the elements that are uh, action-oriented an adventure i want them to push that even further with like uh maybe a better jump button and like better controls and like a little wheel that mm. tells you when your stamina's out that'd be great and also all the things where that people love pokemon for like the abilities the items there's a lot of stuff they've sacrificed on the pokemon side too so if they just push both of those sides a bit better i would be happy and also one last thing uh, a, a more prominent evil team. I mean, maybe I'm, I haven't got too far. Yeah, good antagonist. But I would, yeah, I would like like baddies, and not just like, oh, this Pokemon's misunderstood because it's in a frenzy. It's it's good in its heart. It's like, no, I want baddies. I want to beat people and feel good about it. <laughs> also, the Pokemon should say their name. <laughs> say Why their do name. I go up to like a Bulbasaur? And it goes. Rah! Like it sounds like it came <laughs> off the of Game Boy. I wanted to say Bulbasaur. That's yeah, what I want. Agreed. Yeah, Big and also words. you should get prizes for playing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, 
the, that's a uh, that's a lot of good stuff. I'll see you all in two years when we get the exact same game again. <laughs> no, exactly. we'll look at yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, cool. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk about Dying Light Two. All right, George. Hello. I don't even know where to begin with this. We both played Dying Light 2. I finished it. I did some extra stuff. Uh, so far, I've put in, I'm checking Steam, 47 hours. Jesus Christ. Well, uh, well you played it on PS5. Yep. And I did and... about 25 hours, I think. And that was going pretty fast. Like That was minimal yeah. side content until after I finished it. Uh, I wrote the review, which you can find on the site. I gave it a three and a half out of five. You are doing uh, a lot of the guides. Yep. Got a ton um, of guides coming. How do we begin? I feel like... Let's start with the good. Need... Start with the good? Yes. Let's start with the good, but also I think we should maybe couch this in that we both played pre-launch, pre-patch. Mm-hmm. They were actively fixing the game while we were playing it. Oh my god. And you especially <laughs> had a pretty fucking rough time. Oh Christ. Uh, two of the... Uh, there, there were tons of glitches. Like It was just kind of glitchy anyway, but two of the ones I ran into were email, email Teclan, like, uh, help us please. Like It was yeah. that bad. It was game-breaking. Like They had to make video guides for us to get around game-breaking yeah situations you find yourself in twice (laughs) to be fair to them i'll say they they were fast about it they they weren't like there was no trouble in having those activated but there was only so much i could say like oh they're being nice about it to the annoyance of being stuck around for hours trying to finish it. yeah so like there's there's not a lot of value in like digging into the bugs because the the game that people are going to play when it comes out today while you're listening to this is not exactly what we played Mm. right but i gotta say all the shit that we ran into as just two people when millions get their hands on this game i i think it's gonna be pretty rough i think it's gonna have a real rough start dude this is the uh, again pre-launch but i've played other games pre-launch this is the roughest one i've ever i've never had two game breaking bugs i've never even really had one so this was kind of like, shit, you can tell this thing has been in development for a while, but maybe not for good yeah, reason. There's like, on one side, I know we said we we're going to start with the good, but I just want to get <laughs> this out of the way because I don't want to talk about bugs the whole time. Mm. So there's like one side that's like, this is rough around the edges, needs some more polish. They need to fix bugs. But then there's the other side of that, of this, where it's like, I don't think this engine is working that well Mm. i don't think some of these things can be fixed i think it's just a little bit jank yeah and like i get a sense that we're a little bit more on the like this game is jank versus like this game needs a little bit uh, needs some bug fixes like yeah i fully it's been in development so long i don't i think some of these things are just they're just here you know like like you said yeah previewed it about the moon gravity like that wasn't something that they could just turn down the gravity on. That was an in-game thing. That was a mechanical thing. I think a lot of this is just restrictions of how it's been made, unfortunately. Yeah, and there's a thing that I haven't totally figured out how to describe, but there, but like, 
you get caught on stuff. Yes, I'm constantly like doorways, windows, corners, just like the vents, walls. You're constantly getting snagged Mm. by things on the environment. And it just, you just like lose all momentum. And a lot of times I found myself like, trying to move i can't move and then i have to sort of either crouch or jump yeah to escape being stuck and not because i was like in a weird corner on top of geo that i shouldn't have been like just walking around mm. it was just it like was walking up a windows. ramp like i remember the first i think it's the first safe house you go to in like the prologue bit you like triumphantly jump for a window and you're like looking for a bookcase and i'm trying to jump back out i was like oh i see what he meant now damn it eric was right bad. yeah and the, the like real pain points, like the stuff that when that happens, like in story missions, I think that they'll fix that right away. Mm. And when it happens in like a really prominent place that a lot of people are complaining about, like they'll fix that right away. But I feel like this is sort of like a global problem mm. that I don't think is ever really going to go away. And I think there, there's kind of a lot of stuff like that in this game. Yeah. Um, but okay. So let's back away from the bugs a little bit and talk about like the design and the stuff they meant to make. Cause I think they, <laughs> the stuff they did on purpose isn't very good either. <laughs> um, oh God. Uh, the core, the core gameplay, or shall I say the parkour? Hey, oh, did you write yeah. that down? Did you plan that? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it's good. Good. I didn't put that anywhere. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the parkour gameplay is in my opinion, uh, exceptional and almost almost carries the entire game. Agreed. Like I, I still want to recommend this game off of the back of jumping and climbing and swinging. And it's nearly perfect, right? Yeah. It's I... so much better than the first game and I was worried it was going to, it wasn't going to be because mm-hmm. it's so floaty. Um, but I got used to the floatiness pretty quick. Yeah. And then you can really just like get into the momentum and all the different tools you have. There's so many new wall running and swinging. And like one of my favorite things is when you like, you can run off a building and grab a big pipe that falls. And as it's falling, jump onto the next building. Ah, see, I didn't have that because that, okay, that's, that's a survivor thing. That's I a didn't survivor get that. Thing. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it's got the same stuff as the first one. Like, it's got all of the free climbing, it's got the zip lines, but there's just so much more. There's slide jumps, there's vaults. Mm. Like, um, there's just so much more, and there's so many cool ways to combine it all together into these, like, really interesting runs. They did such a great job of making the world feel like a big playground. And especially in some of the more, like, parkour-focused story missions, you really feel like, these worlds were designed perfectly for you to just like, like they're just giant jungle gyms. Mm. Give, yeah. give Techland a mirror's edge free roaming game. Like yeah. what? that's basically like, that is the nearest comparison for me. Um, I feel like the only thing missing from dying like two's parkour is like a tuck move. Like if you remember mirror's edge, when you jump, you can like tuck up so you can get over the tools. Oh, yeah. That, that would be the, that'd be the cherry on the cake. But mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. that, I think it's, it's some of the best move. It's definitely some of the best first person movement I've played in game ever. It comes close to third as well, like third person movement as well. Yeah. And I wrote this thing in my review that 
it's it's like every other AAA open world game in that in that it's a big uh, map marker check check off the map marker hmm. simulation. Like you just go from point to point doing yep. the same repetitive. But but Dying Light Two kind of reverses the formula by making the the journey from point A to point B the actual like meaningful gameplay, and then you get to the the thing and you do whatever it is and that doesn't really matter it's a spider-man effect right it's like swinging around the best bit and then you have to take a photo of some building yeah so yeah, yeah. like like in every in in gta and witcher and whatever assassin's creed you're just like riding a horse or walking or driving from map marker to map marker and then doing whatever quest when you get here but this actually the actual game is moving between the quest markers and that's really cool and that is so well done yeah and that's uh, for me that's so that's such good news because when you did your preview that was the bit you were you were you're on the you're on the fence about right because like sure, all the moves yeah. are cool but the gravity put you off and then they've knocked that out of the park like i could tell really soon into it that they've done that well um and that's the best thing about it by far uh, and if you ask me what else is good about Dying Light 2, I'm going to struggle. Right? <laughs> yeah, I really it's am. Tough to, yeah, so... Combat's okay. It's, it's wildly ambitious for a sequel. It's hard for me to even think of a sequel that's this much of a departure. Hmm. Besides, like, Red Dead? Like, that's true. It's... They, they did not just want to make better dying light. They wanted to make everything different. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's still it's still parkour. It's still zombies. Yes, but like every system is new. Like the they, nighttime, the nighttime, the gear, mm. the combat, the the mission variety. Like they they have piled the the branching story path. They have mm -hmm. piled so many ideas into this game. And it's, you know, we reported, uh, former Baldy McCurk <laughs> reported on the, the complicated development process behind Dying Light. And even if I didn't know all that stuff, I'd like to think that it, it does really come through in the game yeah. that, that they had a rough time that like they had so many ideas that didn't really fit that weren't really uh developed and they wanted to do way more than they could i i went back i don't know if you saw this but i went back while i was writing the review and i watched the e3 the review. original one yeah it, it yeah. Right. it's so the the idea is still there in the in the final game, but it's like it's no, it's nowhere near what they said it would be. No, which, it's which we'll not that game. Yeah. yeah, that trailer shows traffic, shows like cars driving around. You can like jump on a moving cars, and it shows. That. Oh my god! Yeah, it shows uh, like that first water tower you take. They they give an example of like you take the water tower, you decide to give it to the peacekeepers, and then you can watch the city transform yeah and that is an idea in the game but that doesn't actually happen like that it's a cut it's like all. a it's like a time skip it's like and this building's different here's your here's your cannon that you'll never use yeah but it's like this one building 
Yeah. So, so I played like a survivor run basically, and I got all the parkour upgrades. George, you got all of the peacekeeper upgrades, which are all the like traps and weapons and stuff. Yep. I got so, dicked. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, so the, 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 the only good one of the lot, in my opinion, is the crossbow. Because I'm pretty sure there's no other way to get a crossbow in the game. I haven't found it yet. So the crossbow's yeah. cool. I mean, it's really just a bow and arrow that's like slightly faster and stronger, but like that's that's fine. But the the problem with giving you car traps that, you know, they they blow up and they attract the zombies, that doesn't give you XP. So if I'm running around the city, oh. yeah, they don't, they don't do anything for you. Like, I was there like, yeah, if I do this at night, I can rack up a few levels. No, no XP at all. Um, I think it's the same for the electric fence. I haven't even found one of the cannons I'm supposed to be getting really? for like the third upgrade. Um, and then like the last one's like a UV light trap that just kind of, there's already enough UV lights. You know, what like... about what about so there's a there's a lot there's supposed to be one that you it's like hanging and you shoot it and it drops and sets the everything Molotov. on fire yeah yeah like and it's, then there's it's situational right like i i can't even the amount of times where i have a ranged weapon in dying light as well is so rare that i wouldn't be shooting stuff off like i don't mm. really use the bow but you like looking at your list i was so i was gutted i was like airbags they're awesome the thing you're on about where you like you basically rugby tackle it and then you see it flying to the ground. You can jump off yeah. it. They're all so cool. They work with what Dying Light 2 does well. Yeah. So the survivor path is um, like jump pads. It's zip lines that go both ways and more zip lines. Uh, and it's and it's those uh, like big punching bags on the roof that you can dive tackle and fall straight to the ground. Mm. And yeah, all that stuff is cool, but I never felt, even after I unlocked every single water tower and power station, I didn't feel like the city transformed that much. No. Like maybe I just didn't notice what I, what, I didn't notice it because it felt so natural, maybe. No, I think, maybe I, I, think I do need to play the other side to really see how different it is. I think that might be, I, I can tell from how you're talking about it, like I, I want to give Dying Light 2 more credit. I want to be mm -hmm. like, no, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a step. I'm sure the story choices are deeper than than we encountered, but I, I just don't think they are. I, I don't think the map changes beyond the water tower you get and the few things that pop up. Yeah, so the idea is that you, uh, either in a power station or water tower, you conquer it. The, the, the water towers you have to climb in a certain way, and the power stations you have to do these kind of cool cable connecting puzzles mm. um then you choose which faction gets those resources then you go claim windmills in that zone and for every windmill you claim it it, it brings new resources whichever you unlocked whether it's the parkour stuff or the weapons to that area around that windmill mm. so the idea is as you build as you take more windmills around an area, the city will transform. But it didn't feel like it was happening. No, not to, me. Not, not to me either. Um, um, I don't even... That that wasn't the bit that really... Like, I, I didn't really mind that that wasn't really happening because it seemed very ambitious anyway. Uh, and we'll get to it. It was more the story-based stuff mm -hmm. that really let, I think, both of us down. Um, oh, yeah, well, I, okay, so I'm a big believer in, like, judging things by the goals they're trying to achieve, mm. right? Like, 
I don't want to critique a game based on things it wasn't trying to do just because it wasn't for me or like I didn't like the direction it took. Right. I want to know what the the developers were going for and then decide if it was successful or not based on those goals. So right. I know that the the narrative and the branching choice system was huge for them. This was what they marketed the game on. That unlike the first game, the first game was very simple, completely linear. You didn't get to make any choices at all. You just like went through the story and you fought this evil guy at the end. For this one, you get to shape the story yourself. This is like something we've heard so many times before, right? Right. Your choices matter. And depending on who you side with, it's going to change. And it's all cat. Mm. It's not like, and it always goes like this. I was, I was at the preview event for this game, talking to other game journals. And I was like, the, everyone always says your choices matter. And then they never do. Like, can anybody think of a game? And then somebody, somebody from IGM was like, oh, the Witcher two, apparently the second half of the Witcher two is like a completely different game. I, I've heard you. that before. I don't know. Yeah. I'd say Which, like okay, infamous. Okay. Two. Maybe there's one example. Infamous 2, you got different powers, but it's still, you like, got, you know, not really. You got different powers and a different ending. Yeah. Your choices don't really matter. Like, that's the same as this game. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's true. So, it's it's tough. Because what do we mean by your choices matter, right? Like, yes, you do get either the zip lines or the <laughs> car bombs. So, in that sense, it matters. And, like... Yes, you can affect who lives and who dies, mm. but by the time you get to that part of the story, I was so disengaged with the characters and the plot <laughs> that it didn't matter to me that my choices mattered. So, so now we're at plot. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to preface by if any anyone listening will know, I'm very positive about pretty much every game. I, I love games. Yeah. I generally don't have a lot to complain about. Uh, and I'm not one for hyperbole, but some of the characters in Dying Light 2 and some of the writing and some of the story, not all of it, there are some alright moments and some okay characters, but a good portion of it is some of the worst I've seen in a game of this size. Like, Luan, it's rough. I hated. She was so irredeemable. She was so... I, I just... The thing is, I, I complain about it. Maybe it's because I was with the Peacekeepers. Maybe she hated that and was a bit more of a dick to me. I don't know, but I have to presume not, you know? Was she, was she good to you? Was she, like, a nice, redeemable character? The problem with Luan is that she doesn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> this game treats its women horribly. Yeah. They are all victims they're all emotionally unstable basket cases and like uh sure some of that is like this is the fucking end times and everybody's a little bit unhinged like mm. frank's an alcoholic the men are traitors there are plenty of like bad people or people making bad choices mm. but Luana is just so weak and her arc for in my game her arc was to find a way to put her rage and resentment aside and find what I think Frank calls like the balance so that she can be a night runner. And the night runners are just like elite heroes that mm. don't have a faction. They just try to help 
people and they're really good at climbing. That's basically what a nightmare is. Uh, And she could never be one because she was too filled with rage and resentment. She has this kill list. She's trying to take out her enemies. And in my game, I helped her with a very contrived way uh, make peace with her enemies and uh, become a night runner. And that's something that you are told rather than shown. Like literally there's a ceremony where Frank declares she's a night runner and then the game ends (laughs) shortly thereafter the game ends. Um, See, interestingly, I I did have dialogue that implied that like that stuff was happening. And then maybe I fucked that up. Like she was like, Oh, Frank always said that I would make a good night runner, but like clearly it hadn't happened because of the events in my game. So like, (sighs) It, it's it's the telltale thing, right? Like, where you get an extra bit of dialogue here and there, the custom yeah. choices, and that's that's great. I, I love having my choices make a small impact on the game, but, like, don't market your game around choices matter when it's the same thing happens no matter what. There are two endings to this game with some variations, Yeah, but there are two endings. Yeah, and but there's also a, a qualitative layer on the choices you make. There are right choices and wrong choices yeah because because they did not find a way to tell a story that has that has multiple themes yeah if you don't make the choices that leads to lawan's redemption then you pick the wrong then you don't get the you get the bad ending you get the you don't get the good story yeah your the story you played, the choices you made was every everybody failed and everybody hated you at the end. So I like, right. Well, I I I'm I went to like cover my mouth, go oh god spoilers, but I really don't think there's anything worth spoiling. There was no there's like a there's a twist and there's some moments that kind of made me go oh that's interesting, but above and beyond, I just wasn't interested. I just didn't care. That's the big problem. That it goes. It start. I I think that it starts off pretty strong. It mm-hmm. begins with a murder mystery, which I think is a great way to introduce characters and a world and get you invested in a plot. Yeah, and it introduces a shitload of characters really fast. Mm-hmm. It's like most open world games where you're just like, your quest is to go find this guy that can help us, and you get to that guy and he's like, if you want me to help you, you got to go meet this guy, and you go meet that guy, and he's like, oh, so and so sent you. Well. I can't help you until you go meet this other person. And now your cast is like 15 people that you just met. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it does an okay job of like circling back and rounding that all together. In my version, I got to help the, the kind of weird old, old man and his son uh, like redeem themselves in the eyes of the, the people that live at the bazaar. They're like sort of outcasts. Uh, and then I help them like through the missions, um, prove themselves to everyone else. Mm. And that was kind of satisfying. I um, barely remember mine, but I'm pretty sure I just helped, helped the zombie cops like do some tasks. Stuff. Yeah. I, I don't even remember That's the it. thing, right? Like my, like helping the, helping the good guys, quote unquote, has like pathos and an arc. And helping the cops just feels like the bad choice. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Because when we were talking about who would do what, I remember being like, "Ah, oh, god damn it, I gotta, I gotta be with the cops." 
and I was right because that was absolutely the the game's bad ending, bad choice, you know. Right. Maybe I went overboard. Maybe I kept choosing like the wrong choices within that, but I'm pretty sure that I just just did like the the binary bad choice. I don't think yeah. there is a way to make it more level headed. I think I think you're right. And so so you start off with this murder mystery and you meet all these characters and I think that's handled okay. But then you leave that map. It's like the first game. There's two separate maps. Mm-hmm. You leave that map and all of those characters behind <laughs> uh, for the rest of the game. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter one bit. It's two separate stories. It's... And so when the second story started, it was a lot harder for me to get on, on board, right? Because yeah. you you're doing the same thing over. again. Yeah. Yes, you expect it to connect. And what was weird for me is that I think I said this earlier, we were talking about um, on the on messages, like how we felt about the game. And I said, for the first half of, the, of Dying Light 2, I was pretty sure it'd be in my top 10. I was like, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. Mm. I can see some of these choice-based consequences. Like there's one quite early on in the game. Like we've just said, we had two different paths. That, that, they're different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't talk for how different they were in gameplay. I'm sure it was just run here, kick the shit out of something and go. But yeah. they were different. There was a choice there. And then you just you just end up in this other side of the map, and it's like, here's this character. Uh, she's really important now. She's like the most important character. Here's her yeah. story. It just made no yeah. sense. I just didn't get it. All all paths lead back to the center. So like, while we both got to go on different missions with different characters, the story, both of our stories, led back to meeting Luan in the new city. Mm-hmm. Like. Like we didn't go on two different journeys, really. At least they didn't end in different places. No, they. So if they, if everything leads back to the middle, like it certainly doesn't give you the feeling that your choices matter. I remember messaging you. This is this was close to the end. I, I wasn't. I think the mission was called Empire. Like it doesn't matter anyway. Who cares? But I messaged you like, oh, what, is, what was this mission about for you? And it's like, oh, well, I had to run around fixing these towers so that we could unlock this gameplay mechanic lets you see the inhibitors and i was like oh that's exactly what's happening for me but under the just guise, for a different reason yeah, yeah someone else is telling me to do it and i'm sure yeah. we went to the exact same towers i'm sure we had the exact same enemy encounters right but with some different dialogue and again i'm fine with that but there was a there was a bigger promise here yeah exactly one there there was a bigger promise and two i'm fine with that if there's some actual meaning behind the two different stories. Mm. But but in this case, it feels like there's a correct... There's the story we want to tell, and then there's you doing it wrong. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's that's all a big letdown. If you're, if you're playing... Getting into this game because they promised a choose-your-own-adventure experience, I don't think that's what you're going to get here. Mm. But, and, like, did, did you get the effect... I, I don't know if you had this, but... I got to the point where I was so certain that I was missing information. Like I, I was sending you paragraphs of everything that happened as I was doing it, just in case like you asked me what happened. I didn't know because I was so the characters would show up. It was like, Oh, Hey, you remember this guy? I'm like, no, I don't. And I'm not an idiot. I have never seen this character before. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think I had that problem. I, and at the time I was like, I must be spacing out. Like I must yeah, not be yeah. paying attention, yeah. but I'm pretty sure that there was some really bad overlap between the two sides of the stories where they didn't 
find the right way to mesh interactions and characters. Mm -hmm. There are moments where characters say shit to me that made no sense until I heard what happened to you in your game. And I was like, oh, that line was meant for the other story. Yeah. Like you were telling me that that there's an important character that that lives or dies towards Mm -hmm. the end who you had no relationship with all because of because of my yeah yeah but But, like but at the end he's talking to you like you're good buddies in the way that he talked to me because we were good buddies it i was enraged is stupid because i was like minorly annoyed by a video game but i was sat there and i was like if i cared about this story which i think i've made clear i don't if i was really interested in how my choices impacted it and it turned around and went well you were best friends with this character all along right i i would have i would have been shocked and i was shocked i was like i don't get this i just i don't get where what has gone wrong here like just yeah. don't just don't have me interact with this person during this last moment that would that would honestly be enough to make it seem like my choice had made an impact but i still had yeah. to run in there and because i'd picked wrong i had to do the whole i love you so much you were the best goodbye bit that my character would not have felt right god it makes me yeah, angry that's it that is so totally angry. a big problem there's this other thing that i'm still really hung up on because i can't, i still don't really know what happened i think that i got majorly bugged out mm. but i am in the like sort of the end stretch like the epilogue and a cutscene ends and i wind up somewhere and i have no idea why i'm there or how i got there and i go and i check my quest log and the quest log says a bunch of shit that happened that I did not <laughs> see happen. And the weirdest part is that it has these descriptors for events and it and it says the same thing twice with different names. As if like two, as if something happened and you could choose if it happened to this person or this person, but my quest log showed both versions, like like alternate right. realities. It was like, so-and-so did this, blah, 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 blah. And then the next line was a different person did this, blah, 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 blah. And the text was identical. So you think it was like, do you think it was the two choices that you could make or the two choices between Peacekeeper and Survivor? Like, do you think, how how different do you think it gets? Because if it's the the choice you could have made as a Survivor, you know, fair enough. But if it was the choice that either of us could have made and it's just a character swapped around, then I'm even more... I don't know because I didn't see and and I'm talking about characters dying mm. that I did not see happen like and I still don't understand how it happened because in your Peacekeeper playthrough it didn't none of this shit happened yeah. but my quest like a bunch of shit that apparently happened that I didn't get to see or I somehow skipped through so that was really frustrating I, I will I will slightly back Dying Light 2 here in the fact that in those last hours when I was messaging you, a lot of stuff had changed apparently, like, according to how your game sort of ended in the last few hours, there was a lot that changed Yeah. and then in the last hour it just goes fuck it, do you want the good ending or bad ending? Like, how are you yeah. feeling? Like, I, yeah. could, I could have swapped completely to what would be considered the good ending Oh yeah, absolutely And yeah. then, and then what's the point? Just have, just have two endings and no choice in between I, Oh god i don't know what yeah. bugs me so much and there there's some variables like you can get the good ending but not the best thing happens in the good ending like, yeah yeah so th- there are some and and you do have to set those things up kind of early mm. 
not really. Honestly, it's way more on rails than it seems like it is. Like, I think the illusion of choice is pretty strong. Mm. And I think that there are people that will argue that the illusion of choice is is better uh, theoretically because it lets the the game makers be good storytellers. But in this case, you don't get either one. No. I think if you if you and a friend, like we've done, obviously we did it like, because yeah. for work, but if you and a friend sat down and said, right, we'll play through what happens, you will find very similar things for 80% of it. I think you're going to have one very different section at the start, one very different section at the end, and a few characters will live or die differently. And again, for most games, that's totally enough. Like some games don't even let you choose anything like that. But for the, for one, it doesn't fit with what we've been promised with Dying Light 2's right. choices. And two, I don't think any of it was good. I don't think any of the no, writing good. was good. Uh, yeah, that's really the problem is that it's not a good story. Nope. Which we're we're like kind of dodging spoilers and like i know saying like the writing is bad isn't the best crit yeah but but it's just it's stilted it's uneven i think that so often i heard people perform a line of dialogue that it's was so obvious to me the actors did not know what they were saying or mm. why yeah like the tone and inflection of the lines doesn't re doesn't sound like they knew what the purpose of that dialogue was. Mm-hmm. It's just like bad directing. I'll give on my, top of bad writing. I, I messaged you this. This is my this, this is sadly my highlight of the game, just because of how how baffled I was. Um, it's a late game mission. There's no spoilers here. Um, but Luan's like, right, you you made me ruin this pair of shoes I've got. So you go into my apartment, you get me a new pair of shoes. And she is repeating shoes over and over. She's like, go get me some shoes, Aiden. Like, go get me some shoes. I need shoes. I want shoes. And I was like, I was messing you at the time. And I was like, oh, okay, so she doesn't want shoes. She wants you to go somewhere private so you can discuss this big plot twist or something. Um, and you go into her apartment and she's on about the shoes again. I'm like, right, I'm really excited to see what's waiting for me. And you go in the shoe box to find her shoes. And there's there's a plot important item in the shoe box, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Aiden makes like a quip and she gets annoyed about it. And then he sees the plot important thing and he's like, Oh my God, like I didn't know this. And he goes to find her. I'm like, okay, this is where she reveals that she did that on purpose. So you could know. Right. And she's pissed off at you. She's like, why were you snooping in my stuff? Like, why did you push into my business? Why are you trying to find the stuff out about me? And I was sat there. I was laughing my ass off. Like, like what was the point in that? What was the purpose? Was that really the only way they could have like delivered that this really minor twist? Like, no, there were so many better ways they could have had a nice moment between them, but they had to just make Aiden look like an idiot and the one look like a bitch. Like, right? It, it just didn't work. Yeah, Awful. it rarely works. There, mm-hmm. I, there are a few exceptions. I mentioned earlier the there's sort of like a, a B plot about a, a weird old man that sort of finds redemption, and I think. And that's really early and really strong. His performance is good. He's, I think that he is, he reads as like autistic to me Mm. or, or some kind of neurodivergent. And he, uh, oh man, I don't even want to spoil it. I think it's actually like a really good plot line and it's kind of the only one in the whole game, to be honest. Um, Okay. I, I, we talked about this briefly when we both started playing is it roger craig smith doing aiden's voice 
I, I, forgot, <laughs> I forgot to check the credits, but I'm so uh, fucking certain. It just sounds is. just like it's like it's not the same character as the first game, but it sounds like the same guy. Sounds, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to Google it. Hang on. You know what? So, okay. So store, I think we've covered the story. There's a lot of more problems with this game. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So it, it apparently isn't, but people are saying this sounds exactly like him. So yeah, it sounds exactly like him. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so with the whole branching narrative, it also is leaning into bigger RPG systems mm-hmm. like gear and the <laughs> gear is horribly implemented. Yeah. It's extraordinary pointless. So gear, all gear has a level. Most of it has a defense rating and then it just has a list of single digit percentage perks. Yeah. Percent to single handed damage percent to stamina recovery. It is, And I'm literally saying like 2%, 2 2.1%. It is all so meaningless. And you think like, okay, well, at the beginning of the game, you want new gear, you want upgrades, you're just swapping, it doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, 50 hours in, none of it matters. That gear does not matter. You need to be wearing the level 6 gear in the level 6 area if you don't want to get smited. But... That's max level, by the way. Yeah. It goes from one to six. That's what I was going to say. It, level almost seems pointless as well, because up until I think it was when I got to the second half of the game, I didn't need to do anything to level up because I was just naturally the same level as the missions. Like, And Dying Light 2 is not a hard game. It is, it is so far from a difficult game. Yeah. And I think the main reason for that, we've, we've kind of not really talked about the combat, but it's changed. Dying Light 1, as I remember it, was very very physics-based. Every zombie posed a threat, even when you're high level. Like, you could just yeah. drop kick them, of course, but like if you were doing one-on-one with them, you, you can't hit more than one at once. You're hitting one and you're aiming properly and you're, you know, you're making good use of your weapons. But in Dying Light 2, like, it, within the first hour, I'd come up against, like, six were surrounding me, and I, I could just I could just beat them with, like, this, this pipe I'd found, because I was hitting them all yeah. at once, and it was doing so yep. much damage. Like, I don't know what happened there. I remember you saying that during your preview as well. There's a lot of, um, there's the streets aren't really filled with hordes the way they were in the first game. Mm -hmm. Like in the first game, if you fell off a roof, you were fucking surrounded. Yeah. But this game is much bigger and way more sparse. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if it's a limitation of the engine. I, it must be that they couldn't fill the streets with zombies. So instead you'll find these POIs that are like a military truck and it's got a big swarm on yeah. it. Like that's the really, of course there's zombies everywhere all the time, but the only time you see like a, a horde is, is around a, a POI. And at the, the very first side quest you get is this guy wants to make an electric fence and he sends you to get some parts. It's literally the first side quest you could possibly do once you get out of the tutorial. And he sends you to one of these POIs to like look for whatever this electric fence material is. And you can just tank this horde. Mm. You can let li- you can literally just kite them and you can tank this entire horde, no problem. And it never gets harder than that it really doesn't there's places you shouldn't go and i want to get into like the whole day night cycle because i think that's actually one of the things the game does well yeah 
Um, so you should not go into the into certain places because they have volatiles in there and volatiles are just one shot you, right? Yeah. Even, even with good gear most of the time. Um, but as far as like fighting zombies and even like the bandit camp, like I had no problem with any of the bandit camps. I think as well, like I, I, I was saying, I've been saying for ages that the dropkick, oh my God, please return. Dropkick was amazing and dying like one. It's maybe too powerful here. It's way overpowered, yeah. Because it can kill enemy, humans in like one hit, and it glitches yeah. all the time. So if they hit like a wall, or if they like get stuck on a piece of scenery, they die straight away. So I had so many boss yep. fights, drop kick someone into a wall straight away, they're dead. It's too bad. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm remembering now, like in the first game, there was a lot of post-launch content. There was years of it, and it grew in a way that probably wasn't good and to the point where it was all like automatic uh shotguns like really crazy gear but i remember like the enemies were really hard there was like tough fights and shit in that game and this one doesn't have that uh not really at all even the the bandit camps which you're sort of you're incentivized to when they teach you about bandit camps, they're like, you get to this high point, you survey it with your binoculars, you figure out where the enemies are, you mark them, you figure out where the leader is, and then you decide your your point of entry. You, mm. There's all these different ways to get into it. And then you use stealth, and you can like sneak around, and you can throw coins to lore. Dude, I never did a single one of those <laughs> things. I walked in the front door and beat everybody's ass to death. <laughs> Every single time, no problem. Yeah. And like, it's not that I was like over leveled. Like, I was just playing the game. I was just walking around, killing everything, no problem. Yeah, I was. I was nervous though when you were talking about stealth. I was like, oh god, did I miss like a whole? Did I miss a whole mission type? But no, it's just because it's so useless. Why would you ever do it? You can just kick everything. Ugh. Yeah. Ah, man. You, you and I are making the exact same noises and faces. Like, <laughs> there, there's so much built-up like frustration because the bits that shine in this game, like the parkour and like what yeah. we talk about in a sec, the day-night cycle, they're really good. And they're just buried. It's just buried underneath open-world bollocks. And yeah, oh, God. So, so the the day-night thing is a huge improvement over the first game. And I did and when I heard about it, when I learned about it, I thought it was actually a downgrade. Same. Um, because in the first game, if you're out at night, you're fucking in trouble. You should not be there, right? If you're out at night, the volatiles are patrolling, and if they see you, they're gonna chase you the fuck down. So what's cool about that is you work your way through the map, unlocking these safe points so that if you get caught out at night, you'll have a close place to retreat to. But when night falls, you run. That's how the first game works. And the follow, uh, is it the following? Yeah. I think that's what it's called. And the, the following kind of changed that a bit because you wanted to go to the caves at night, because if you went to the caves there, that's where the volatiles were like spawning out of the ground. You had to like kill these breeders basically. And that would get you high level resources, but you can only go there at night. That's what the sequel does. So the sequel splits day and night by uh, the an external play of the city and an internal, meaning that during the day you can move around freely. It's fairly safe. You can cross distances easily, mm-hmm. either on the street or on the roof. And at night, 
is when you explore the insides of the buildings, the dark hollows, the abandoned stores, all the interior places, because the idea is that the, the zombies retreat into the darkness during the day and at night they come out to the street. So you're free to go indoors. And I think that like dichotomy is really cool. Mm -hmm. You get these two very different experiences of the game, depending on if it's day or night. And every time I found the game, like rolling into night, like you kind of have like a sunset period into night. I would, I would be checking my map to see like, Oh, what's close by that I can do while it's dark. Yeah. Because this is my best opportunity to like dive into a dark hollow, which are like these little dungeons and, you know, look for some inhibitors or stuff that ends up not mattering like gear <laughs> and uh, crystals that you can sell, which we'll get into the economy. Maybe, I don't know. We're, we're already complaining a lot, but <laughs> that, that is really well done. Now, the, where the volatiles come into play is that there's this like wanted system. There's like a new type of zombies. I think they're called screamers. They take the place of the volatiles from the first game. So if they see you, they raise your wanted level, which starts a chase. And if your wanted level keeps increasing, like if you just stand there and fight everything and your wanted level keeps going up, then eventually the volatiles will come get you. But to be honest, you have to try to do that. Yeah. Because if you get spotted and you're at one star, just leave, just go to a safe house. Like you have to want to see volatiles to get them to come after you, which is a really weird thing. Right? I, I, when, when we started talking about this, I was thinking night and day was actually really well handled, but then I'm thinking about it and I don't think I ever saw volatiles. I don't think right. I ever needed to go hunt for gear or loot because it didn't matter. Like, inhibitors sure but by by the like second half of the game you don't need them like you just run into them on main missions anyway like all of these that the mechanic is is sound and it again it, it looks really good in the first few hours because you think it's gonna keep being meaningful but it just stops it instantly stops as soon as you yeah. cross the second half i think there might be a volatile chase maybe like early on when you're like first getting out of the sewers where you're getting the chased by volatiles hospital maybe yes yeah that was a cool mission actually that was th there are bits where it's like oh wow this could actually be really scary and then you realize that one zombies can't do anything to you and two if you you can crouch run like you don't have to like hold the stick variably when you're next to yeah. you. you can you can go as fast as you want when you're crouched and they will not see you yeah yeah i forgot about the hospital until you brought it up but that is one of my favorite missions because you're going through like small sections of this big hospital trying to avoid volatiles who will inevitably see you. And when they do, the chase begins and you try to escape into the next part of the hospital and you don't know which way to go. And you have to make like really snap decisions about like, am I going to go left on this hall? Am I going to dive under this table? Mm -hmm. And it feels like you're always just getting away from them. But then the game never does that again. Yeah, That's the only time you get that. When, when things are chasing you or when you're chasing things, Dying Light 2 is great. It's really good. Like I said, movement, yeah. the, they've really nailed movement and they nail feeling like whatever's behind you will take you out in one hit, even if it doesn't. Yeah. And th those moments are really good, but I think there are like two. I, 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 yeah. I, on the top of my head, there's two or three. Yeah. And then there's one chase where, oh my God, this is really bad. There's a chase where you're running with an NPC 
And because of the way that I imagine they have built the the different sections of the level. I know what you, I know what you mean now. So so you'll see this in games where like you go through a door and it loads the next environment. Hmm. Right? This is a pretty common thing. The game doesn't all exist at once. Most things only exist when you're looking directly at them, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like you'll open a door and the and things will load in. And if the game is well optimized, it'll load in instantly. You'll never notice the transition. Dying Light 2 has this mission where you're running with an NPC. This this person is in front of you. And every time they come to a door, they throw it open and then close it behind them yeah. because it needs to load the next area. So you're running for your life and they're like, come on, hurry. And closing doors in your face over and over and over. And then you have to stop running and open that door, which is a cutscene. Yeah. And and this is a slight sidebar, but the 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 ultra wide support is horrible in this game it's really really bad and every single cutscene is in 16 by 9 so every single transition from gameplay to cutscene that should be natural snaps it snaps from widescreen to to full screen ah so it was even worse for you during this bit then so it's even worse (laughs) so one it turns off your flashlight like so every time there's a cutscene the lighting changes so even when you're just like walking, 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 and then transition into cutscene, the lighting changes and the aspect ratio shrinks. <laughs> so you're just hitting door after door. Like I'm running, I'm running, and now I'm like in a door opening cutscene, and I'm. Tra- it's so bad. It's and so that section, bad because now you've said it. Like as soon as you started talking about it, it's like I know exactly what you mean because that section goes on for quite a bit, and it's not just yeah. like. Oh, I've opened two doors. There's like five times where you go and yeah. open this door, and that she closes right in your face. Yeah, and every time it's like, it, it, we're not even talking like I can't believe Fortnite's the first thing I think of where you press a button, the door opens. It is a it is a transition cutscene where you open the door and then you see Aiden slam the door behind him, yeah. and then he turns around and the area's loaded, and it's like five times. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I feel like we could go through every single mission. I know. And that's I, such a shame. Dude, what, what about the one where you go into like rage mode and you kill that guy and he explodes into guts and then like a second later he's still alive? Uh, okay, so maybe we can't do it because we had some, <laughs> some missions that were different. But... Uh, yeah. Uh, that the, the rage mode thing, I feel like we can't even really talk too much about because of maybe possible spoilers. But that, yeah, that was a well. Whole... So this is part of the first game too. Like it's and the title "Stay Human," right? Like everybody in the city is turning, oh, yeah. is, oh, yeah, is infected. Yeah, so everybody's infected, and you have to stay in light. If you're not either in sunlight or or UV then you turn, right? So you're sort of turning throughout the game, just like in the first one. And so sometimes you go into like zombie rage mode and you just do like insane damage and you just, and actually it's not fun to be honest. I didn't think that stuff was good. I I thought the mystery behind it was interesting yeah, because it implied way more than when it happened, you're like, oh, that happened. And then the cutscene transition like oh wait maybe more than what i just thought happened and this is going to be a really interesting like moment but no no, it what happened is what happened yeah so oh man i I have not got a chance to talk about this anywhere before 
the first game does such a cool thing with the zombie mode that I've never seen in any other of the countless zombie movies and games that exist. I've never seen any other zombie thing do this. When you start turning, when you like become a zombie, you go into this fantasy dream sequence where you're fighting for, I don't want to get into the plot, but you're, you think that you're trying to like protect someone or fight for your life. You're like in this dream state. So you can see how that translates to a violent zombie, like lashing out at people because in their mind, they're like trapped in this nightmare where they're fighting someone like they're still human in their mind, but they're just like dreaming that they're that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's It's like like, they're sleepwalking. It's like the, again, weird comparison, but it's injustice where Superman thinks he's fighting doomsday, but he's fighting Lois Lane. Yeah. Like, yeah. And and then you can extrapolate that and imagine that all of these zombies, all of these hordes throughout the world, are all just people trapped in their own minds in these endless nightmares. And it's tragic, fighting. right? That's so fucking cool. This game throws that away. Completely throws that away. That's <laughs> not part of. That is not part of this game. At I was all. just going to say, I didn't. I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to be to go. Oh, did I just miss another massive plot moment? But no, I was pretty sure that didn't happen in two. Yeah, I don't. I didn't even remember it happening in one because I think that was all part of like the following. Was it? I don't remember if that was expansion or not. But yeah, yeah, no, that's that doesn't happen in this game. Um, boy, did we hit it? I mean, I there's way more to talk about, but like, okay, like if you had to mention one more thing, I'm I'll never think. Oh, think, I've got one. Yeah, minor, but uh, for me kind of a letdown. The grappling hook in the first one was like this revelation. It was like, oh my god, like this game has opened up even more. And there is crap in this. Like, you don't need it. Maybe that speaks to how good the parkour is now, that you're never out of options. Like, there are times on the upgrade tree I'd see like, oh, jump behind you if you need to. And i go, I'd never need that because I've got so many options. But yeah, it was a shame don't... to see. You don't need this grappling hook except in the specific story. You you need it for to climb like some of the optional water towers. Mm-hmm. You need it to get to some of the optional airdrops. Um, so it it's like a it's like a Metroidvania style like gating ability. Like you have to unlock this ability to get access to certain areas. So I think it that's fine. But you're right. Like the the rest of the parkour stuff is so good. I I think the grappling the grappling hook in the first game changed the game too much. It was it was like too powerful and it made yeah. everything that else you could do pointless. I kind of felt like that with the paraglider here, where I, I felt like because the parkour was so strong and it was always about taking risks and it was always like, do I jump this and maybe fall off? Like when you have active landing, never mind, you can survive anything. But before that and before the paraglider it was like every move is risky mm-hmm. um and then the paraglider is just like it's basically a parachute not quite a parachute but anytime you jump you're now completely fine don't worry about risks so i think yeah. it's stronger without personally it's it's true it feels kind of weird to invest a bunch of points into like resisting fall damage and then you get a parachute that negates all fall damage <laughs> yeah but at a certain point it becomes about like your momentum and like finding those clean lines and you really don't want to break out the parachute unless you have to. Yeah. yeah. It's it's way better to hit the ground and roll because at a certain point you can hit the ground, roll and leap. 
Yeah. You can like chain that into. So it's, it kind of sucks to do the parachute because you just kind of hit the ground and like stumble. Yeah. Like you lose all your momentum. So that's balanced. Okay. To me. Yeah. That's a, that's a nitpick. That's like the right. Yeah. I feel like we just complained so long. Anything comes off as very, (laughs) but, but to be clear, like you gave this a, a, a pretty good score and like, I'm, I enjoyed my time with it. I, I don't hate dying like two. It's just, it's disappointing. Is what it's, it's the worst. It's thing. very disappointing. And you know what? It's like any other game. Like it's going to be a blast in co-op. Oh yeah. You know, we, like, we should I would, absolutely play in co-op soon. Yeah, I would love to play this with friends. Um, just like the first one. It's just it's not at all the game that we were promised it would be, and that's that's very sad. I think. The best way to enjoy Dying Light 2 is to think of it like a superhero game, to think of it like an infamous, mm. um, more than uh, like a zombie survival game, because it's it's not a very good RPG. It's not a very good zombie game, but it is a very cool superhero game. Yeah. Um, and developing your skills, like your Aiden's powers are the power of parkour. <laughs> and developing those skills uh is really fun i think like all of the parkour trials i did were super fun and i pushed for like gold trophies they're really hard yeah they take a lot of practice you really have to like optimize these routes and they're they're just like the first game they're just like hitting all the checkpoints in two minutes or whatever um but they really show off how how well designed the city is Mm. Um, I think those are great. I it's just there's so much in this game that's not great. I just realized something we didn't touch on. Yeah, I mean we did, but 500 hours that was a load of horseshit. <laughs> like you know, I actually wrote something about how f- I think 500 might be conservative. <laughs> what uh, for dying like two? Not that you should or that it's val. It's got 500 hours of worthwhile content, but just just like it's it's the choices it's seeing the the parkour side versus the trap side it's the the repeatable stores and hollows like those places you don't check off you can do those endlessly to like farm money and the and the big thing that we didn't talk about is like the whole mod system and upgrading those mods the only currency is zombie heads different rarities of zombie heads all zombie heads funnel into every mod if you want to upgrade anything it's zombie parts so if you like are the kind of person that's going to play this game for 500 hours i think you could because you just have to farm zombies to upgrade to get two percent more damage on your flame mod (laughs) you know and you have to do that i mean there's a shitload of mods that are just different elemental damage types there's there's like acid fire ice bleeding poison like it just keeps there's so fucking many and i barely upgraded any i barely up did you upgrade anything i I, barely upgraded anything embarrassingly i didn't realize because luan says something about it when you're using the paraglide it's like oh if you want to make this go faster go see a craft master and then i just never did i never stopped off to do it and then when i finished the game i did go back and it is kind of a noticeable improvement. Like it does, you can glide upwards with it. That's the exception. Yeah, the paraglider and the grappling hook are worth upgrading for sure. But all of the mods, 
the the fire mod, the ice mod, like all you could do that for five hundred hours, and I don't think it'd be worth it. But that that's where I draw the distinction. I, I mean, what's worthwhile gameplay is really really subjective. But yeah, if we're tapering it as collect everything, do all the side missions that aren't repeated, see mm-hmm. the whole map, I I. Uh... I think you double your playtime. I think you'd see 100 hours for one side of it. And if you go back and do it again, 200, 220. But 500? Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but like, it, sure, if you want to upgrade everything and grind everything, yeah. I still don't see that being 300 hours more. Like, I, I just don't, I don't get where that came from. That number is ridiculous. Uh, those, so like, those mods have like 12 levels of upgrades and they are exponentially more expensive. So it goes from like five heads to ten heads to twenty heads to forty heads. Like, okay, okay, it's it's a lot, dude. If you want to find five hundred hours, maybe yes, you can. I make... think you could find five hundred hours. Yeah, whether you should is go go play other games, guys. Like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I I talked about some other stuff in my review that we didn't cover here, so uh, please read that um also uh at this point i will have already done a reddit ama i did one for the preview uh so i'm doing one for the review too so if it's, i i don't know if i'll still be looking at it at this point but <laughs> if you have any specific questions before you play uh check out the dying light subreddit um but other than that i mean what's your like ultimate recommendation for for dying light 2 <sighs> um if you like the first one, then you'll like this because it is, it's it's very different. But the cause there, um, it improves on one side of the game that I think was what made the original special, which was the parkour. It does that a lot better. Uh, the combat's worse, like no doubt about that. But the world is very good. The story is worse, but the original didn't really have a good story either. So. For anyone who liked Dying Light One, you're already you've already got this, and you're probably going to really enjoy it. And I'm sure there are going to be people who claim it's game of the year. I'm sure there's going to be those. People. <laughs> uh, they're wrong. It is a very flawed game, <laughs> but I think there's also some merit to the fact it's released, like the fact it exists, the fact that it has it is out. It has some problems, but like it's an enjoyable game. Um, I don't think I'll think about it after this week. But that's fine. I, I mean, there's going to be five years of content updates, so I'm not, yeah. not going to be done with Dying Light 2. <laughs> the thing is, I, I really have no idea how to gauge what the reaction to this is going to be. I never know if we're going to get Gamer Rage or if we're going to get, like, Mountains of Cope. We're, because we're going to see people are pretty people hardcore effect, right? We're going to yeah. see this be... And Pokemon. Like, yeah. We... I, I know how fans are. I know that fans will like eat shit and say it's delicious. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a fan. I don't I, know. I would have loved to have eaten shit and said Dying Light 2 is great, but it's just good. Yeah. It's popular. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I think people should kind of be upset that they got lied to about what this game is. Yeah. But, um, you, you yeah. have been yeah, we'll surprisingly positive like with your review like i remember before you were more positive and that has dropped a little bit but you're still one of the more positive takes i've seen it because if if i had reviewed it five or six i know i had two game breaking bugs that i clearly hold a grudge against now but 
I struggle to find more good to say about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I landed on a seven. I haven't seen the consensus. I've seen lower scores. I've seen some higher scores. Mm. Um, I think Guardian gave it a two out of five, which yeah. would be like a four. Four. Uh, that's um, mm. yeah. subjective, of course. Every review subjective. So if me going, well, that's not right. That's stupid. But <laughs> I I don't think I'm going to check really quick on the air. This is a good pod. I'm going to check the Metacritic to see if there is one yet. Yeah, it's uh, 77 right now. Really? 77 right now, yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, God, am I just... Th- this game This game makes me at every turn go, am I just not getting it? Am I wrong? No, it, it's just a, it's a triple-A open-world bias. You know? It's just pe- people fucking love open-world games, man. People love big-budget open-world games. It's always going to be... Yeah, I guess so. I'm, ex- I'm exhausted. I don't know about you, but it, it takes a lot out of me, this game. I am exhausted. I'm more than happy to put it down until the first expansion comes out. And then, you know, we'll see. We'll see how much it's improved by then. <laughs> God damn it. That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode and a new listener question. Next week, we want to know what's a game you would put 500 hours into. Let us know on Twitter using the hashtag AskTheGamer, and we'll read your answers on the show. See you then.